located in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, Fallen Timber Meadery is named after this region of Alberta, Canada. The area is a hidden treasure characterized by the merger of ranch lands and untracked forests and home to stunning mountain views and Canadian wildlife. It is here where the Ryan family produces pure water-white clover honey and mead as pristine as the namesake Fallen Timber Creek. Inspired by the sublime landscape and the honey it awards, the Fallen Timber Meadery continues to pursue excellence in all of their meads. From classic traditional meads to innovative session meads and braggots, Fallen Timber Meadery is emerging from the wild with great Canadian mead. Visit us online at www.fallentimbermeadery.ca. I uh, I want to start out the show with a shout out to Jack Spurko, and uh, if you uh, if you're a mead follower like I am, you belong to every. And I'll go over the list in a minute, but uh, <laughs> there's a number of mead groups out there that are just uh, really amazing. And I found one. This is on the the mead mead group. Uh, Jack Spurko, he tells a story of how he accidentally figured out how a three-flower blend of tea actually helped act as a clearing agent in a mead that he made. He also doesn't rehydrate his yeast. He pitches it directly into 100-degree must and has consistently had great outcomes in 30 to 60 days. Awesome article in the uh, mead group. And I'm trying to get his permission to post that article on the GotMeat.com website. So, That'd be uh, great. Yeah, looking forward to hearing from Jack. It's uh, it's quite a lengthy post that he made, but uh, just wanted to throw that shout out to Jack Spurko. Nice job, Jack. Yeah, I hey. saw that. I saw that post. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, it was. Hey, yeah, uh, welcome, welcome to Got Mead Live. Uh, this is a show where you can meet all kinds of people that impact mead making, including beekeepers, honey specialists. We've even had people who turned a hobby into a business. It's always a party here at Got Mead Live. My co-host tonight, Vicki Rowe, owner of GotMead.com, and of course, A.J. Ermans, longtime winemaker, beer brewer, and let's see if I can get this one right, uh, meat maker and keeper of the Toothless Rabbit. So, uh, <laughs> who, who is it named Toothless? Yeah. Just saying, you know. What, what's the name of the rabbit? Fun Helsing. Fun Helsing, yeah. Fun Helsing. Fun Helsing, the Toothless Rabbit. Uh, tonight, uh, it's just going to be a party here at GotMeat.com. Tyson Perzik and Alan Jones from Meat Baker is going to join us here tonight. And uh, I know uh, everybody, in fact, Vicky just asked me again tonight, when's the next article coming from JD's Adventures in Mead Making? Yeah, JD, JD goes to Mead Wonderland, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. Uh, this one's going to be AJ, JD, and J-A-O-M. It's uh, where I finally uh, met AJ. And uh, we talked uh, until great lengths, uh, until 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning, my time. Keep in mind, I'm on the West Coast, please. Which, mean, which means you were keeping her up all yeah. night. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Yeah. So, and, uh, working on it. So. Well, and those of you that are out there, we are always looking for interesting stuff to just post on Got Mead. So if you've got something you just, you know, that you throw out on Facebook that you thought was interesting, that's like article length, or even if it's super short article length, like a couple paragraphs, 
I'm always looking for interesting stuff to put up on GM. I want this to be a place where folks can go and get good info. So if you've got something you think is interesting, drop me an email at gotmeetgotme.com. Let's, you know, let's get you up there and on the front page. You bet. And uh, this is a this is a forum sighting. This is like one of those UFO <laughs> sighting things. That's what that's exists. I saw Meds and Fay in the forums about a week and a half ago. And uh, I sent now, I, you know, okay, now how do I say this? <laughs> you sent Meds and Fay I a sent Meds message. and Fay a message. <laughs> yeah, there you uh, go. To please send me uh, an email address uh, and also Vicky, so that all you uh, all you had to do is ask me. I can see the email addresses. <laughs> oh, cool! There you go. Well, yeah. uh, keep the send uh, and medicine. I am I am the leader of the forum and all that stuff. There you go. <laughs> you hold the key. Vicky is all. I, I I do. The only thing I can't see is their passwords, which is a good thing. But yeah, I can see emails. So yeah, I probably should drop Medicine an email and uh, see if we. Can lure the elusive. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's showtime, Medson. If you're listening to this, uh, really would like to get you on the show for sure. Yeah, you have a lot to offer, man. And um, we, we'd love to have you come in and party with us and, uh, you know, just uh, share mead making tidbits and info. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. As I hey. believe the one person who's put more posts on Got Mead than me. Yeah. Um, well, there's two people I think that have got more than you. Unless you're, are you ahead of Oscar now? I might be. I don't know. I'll have yeah, to go check. I don't know. He had more posts than everybody, including me, which was ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> for a while there, he posted on like every single thread. It was just he was everywhere all the time. It was kind of frightening. Yeah, I was like that when I was unemployed. Uh, yeah, I, I saw a count of something like two thousand one hundred and something for Oscar. I don't know where that number, or how I got to that number. Oh, he's got way more than two thousand, I think. I well, I would assume so. Uh, what are we drinking here tonight, Vicky? Uh, I am drinking the last bottle of the Golden Coast that Frank so generously sent us, uh, and it's the Savage Bois. Oaked orange blossom traditional. I'm drinking it at a room temp, and it's very nice. It's got the little bit of oaky tannins in that back end. The uh, orange is, you know, is right there. Um, slight bit of petalance, I think, just because it's been sitting, I don't know, probably just because it's been sitting under the counter. But um, it's, you know, it's clear and nice and clean, and it's a really easy drinker. I like it. Yeah. I, uh, as soon as we get back from North Carolina, uh, three days later, we're going to, it's a quick turnaround, do the laundry, and we're going to jam down to San Diego for a week to uh, hmm. something Kona Kai, something resort or some damn place. Uh, and Oceanside is on the way. So I'm wow, cool. going to make every attempt. Uh, to stop in and uh, see the boys, uh, Frank Goldbeck and the guys down there at Golden Coast. So if you're listening, Frank, I'll be contacting you here uh, in the next uh, month or so, and we'll try to set that up. And, yeah, I'm going to bring my camera, take pictures. We'll spend a couple hours, talk about uh, mead, and, uh, you know, maybe even try to get a some kind of a feature article or something on, on the gotmead.com website. So, uh Looking forward to that. AJ, what are you drinking tonight? 
Uh, my friend Devin made a Russian Imperial Stout, and I'm about three mouthfuls in and already feeling it. It's uh, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, it's got a really sweet finish that was quite surprising. It's not very bitter. Uh, it's very lightly carbonated. It's got a citrusy nose, and it's darker than Guinness. Nice. And I'm quite enjoying it. And I hope he actually wrote down a recipe for this. <laughs> He's a chemist. It's all in his head somewhere, probably. I, uh, I popped open a bottle of Redstone Meadery Nectar of the Hops. And David Myers, I got to tell you, bud, this stuff is <laughs> outstanding. Uh, and, I, you know, Vicky, they're these big blue bottles. Oh, yeah. uh, love the redstone bottles man they I, they've got some of the coolest bottles out there there's those and the stone bottle superstition does stone bottles that are just an eye for it too this is mm-hmm. um this has got it it's a sweet I, I would even call it a semi-sweet it's not real sweet it's just no, uh, it's not. uh very very much to my liking uh i can taste the i mean it's almost a gentle hop flavor in it uh very kind of beer like I love this stuff, um, and I'm going to have to probably set my headset down, step away from the mic, and take the bottle back to the kitchen. Otherwise, I'll drink this whole damn thing tonight. So, and those are and those are not small bottles. If you've got a full size bottle of it, that's like a full liter of mead, you know. So. Yeah. And uh, I want to throw a shout out to uh, Doug over in the Netherlands. He got up early. Uh, Hi, Doug. He's been having. Hi, Doug some major he was in the hospital here uh just a few weeks back had some major back issues he's on all kinds of pain meds and wanted to inform us that he's drinking coffee flavored coffee so i <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope you're feeling better out there doug um hey you know what uh if you want to listen to the show just simply go to got me you know i used to go through this whole rundown about where our show was and how to get there and all this stuff it's real easy now gotme.com everything you need to listen to the show now or later is on gotme.com all the apps are there it'll take you to the to the uh, play stores and to the whatever apple uses for their apps and all that stuff uh you know you can take the show with you uh you know we're very mobile uh, even the live show also the replays so uh the replays are housed on the soundcloud thing uh, there's an app for that itunes stitcher radio uh we're just all over the place out there but if you go to gotme.com click on that radio link up there vicky everything is right there yeah. um facebook that's real simple too got me just put in got me then a little search deal up there on the top of the facebook deal oh and i was going to tell you about uh and, and know, don't forget to like the page if you come and see us you know yeah then absolutely. you'll be able to find it again yeah <laughs> uh when it comes when it comes to uh you know when it comes to uh facebook and and mead groups Okay, now now you, I'm going to read these kind of fast, so if you want to write them down, you're just going to have to listen to the show later on. <laughs> but I found Mead, American Mead Makers Association, Mead Recipes, Mead Books, Got Mead, Mead Friends, Mead Brewers and Enthusiasts, 2100 Mead Making, Mead Making for Beginners UK, Mead High School Band, well, I don't think that's a mead group, but what the heck. <laughs> Hampton Roads Mead Makers, Fruit, Wine, and Mead Making. So that's oh. just a partial list of all of the mead. I just typed mead 
into the Facebook search deal, and that's what it came up. With. Dang, I'll have to do a page on Got Me with links to all of those. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. a bunch of them out there. Hey, the Twitter thing at uh, Got Me Now. Vicky maintains the uh, the Twitter deal there. If you can't call us tonight, you can certainly tweet us. Tweet us. There you go. We'll get there you, you trained. Yeah, us. yeah. You can tweet us. Yeah. Oh, you know, and I, I even got it written right there. Tweet there us. There you go. Tweet us. Yeah. Uh, ask Oscar. Keep the questions coming. Oscar will be back. Uh, in fact, he's going to be on the show next week. Uh, yeah. He's busy with the uh, Mazer Cup, right, Vicky? Yeah, busy with the Mazer Cup, which <laughs> closed uh, entries in fastest time ever this year. They, uh, they went through every single home entry and maxed out in like eight days. Wow. From from open to close, it was stunning, and I think it took fourteen days last year. And uh, and corp and the business um, professional meat makers closed. Uh, I want to say four or five days ago, and uh, you know, so just 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 amazing um, how quick they're 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 zipping through their entries and getting things locked up, and they and they increase the entries a little bit every year. I mean, it's basically. It's basically around how many judges can you get. There's only so many meads can be judged in a given period of time. And right now we're doing it all in one day for uh, each each competition. So home is in one day and then commercials in one day. Wow. So until and unless they either expand into multiple days for judging or get a bigger judge pool, there's going to be a point at which they can, you know, can't really increase entries anymore. So that's that's kind of what's happening but it's uh, it's amazing i mean it's just so stunning how fast they they just blew through all the entries yeah well keep uh, keep the questions coming for the ask oscar uh, ask oscar segments uh you know we'll certainly get to them uh, again when we uh, fire up the ask oscar uh, uh segments here on the show you can call us 818-921-4680-921-4680. Text, put us on your speed dial if you want. Uh, you can also become a supporting member of a uh, patron member of the gotme.com form. It's only 25 bucks a year. Uh, and it's a, uh, a great investment because it takes you to another side of the forum that few people have seen where there's a lot more in-depth information. If you really want to learn how to make excellent meads and uh, uh, get involved with recipes that are absolutely award-winning and proven recipes, I mean, this is this is the real deal, uh, then pay that 25 bucks, get that access, and uh, uh, you'll be amazed at what you see there. Uh, right now, we're going to step away, take our first commercial break. When we come back, Tyson Perzik and Alan Jones for the Mead Makers will be right back. Known for the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey, Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at BeeNectar.com. That's BeeNectar with a K.com. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. 
The form consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GottenMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GottenMead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road, near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. Hey, this is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead, and I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery Meads now. Visit them at their online store at moonlightmeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery Meads. Onto that, <laughs> we are back, <laughs> and we are being silly, silly, what, silly, silly. One of these days, I'm just going to accidentally leave the mics live. <laughs> accidentally, and then, and don't then they be in will, for a treat? You know, um, assassins are cheap in California. There's a lot of unemployment there, so. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, even the after show, I swear one of the days I'm just going to flip the record button on and record uh-huh. the after show and uh, hold it as bribery material. <laughs> but uh, hey, uh, Tyson Perzik and Al Jones joining us here tonight from the MeadMakers.com. We've had them on the show before. Good evening, kids, boys, gentlemen. Uh, uh, hi there. Kids. Hey, uh, kids. <laughs> yeah, well, anybody I think we're kids I'm, compared to them, Tyson. I mean, they, they I, yeah. called you under thirty last episode, right? I know that's pretty good. Are you? Oh, you're not under thirty anymore? No, no, no. Ah. Wow. I, I mean, I am not for long, yeah. but kids, kids. Well, yeah. yeah. at sixty-two years old, anybody who's twenty years younger than me, thirty years younger, let's make it thirty. <laughs> <laughs> and, if that's, and if that's the uh, if that's the case, then you can stop calling me a kid because I'm only ten years younger than you. <laughs> I, so, uh, so you can just stop right now. Stop. <laughs> yeah. well, the so, person uh, who calls me kid most often is actually two years younger than me. So uh, there you go. Uh, Tyson Perzik, Alan Jones joining us, and I thought what we'd do, guys. Um, we we have a we have a uh, show coming up here in the next few weeks uh, where we're putting together a panel of industry professionals from uh, virtually every aspect of the mead making uh, world, uh, and uh, it's uh, uh, you know it's going to you know feature the whole two hour show. It's broken down into four segments. I thought what we'd do tonight is touch on some of the subject matter that we're going to deal with on that night and kind of get a 
perspective from the non-professional mead maker side of the house, uh, those of us that are home mead makers and, you know, see what we uh, think about some of the things. Um, you know, the, the show is going to feature, uh, it's going to focus on sustainability, the business of mead, uh, evolution of the art, and then, you know, of course, where do we go from here uh, when it's all said and done with? So uh, I'll kick it off. Uh, let's talk about sustainability here for a minute. Uh, what would you guys like to see as far as uh, some level of sustainability in, in our mead-making world? Well, how about how about this? How about something where if, you know, you don't want to have beehives, right? Like because that, that's probably part of sustainability. If you want to make mead, you need honey. So you need bees. But if you don't want to do that yourself, is there some way like, uh, you know, like a company buys carbon shares so they can like pollute more or something like that? Can we buy some bee shares? Is there like a, a like a community thing where we can all get together to really support some bees directly, you know, get get them to write us postcards each month about how well they're doing you know show them what a bee, bee families yeah yeah and and then we can make meat and not feel bad about not keeping up on the front end there you go you know i well, you know i actually like the idea of a like a timeshare type thing or a co-op i've share yeah I, yeah i like the i like the co-op thing not a timeshare be more like the farm shares you know so if somebody's got yeah. you know 50 beehives they can sell shares in the hives that you get, so you get like a share of honey for however many shares you bought, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that would be awesome because it'd be a great way for people who want quantities of honey to get it. And it provides the beekeeper with steady income on a monthly basis. So they know they necessarily got money coming in. And not necessarily based on quantity either. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're paying blah, I'm say 40 bucks a month for, um, you know, just to pull a number out of the air, but 40 bucks a month for your share in the highs. And one month that might be a gallon of honey. Another month that might be three or five gallons or whatever, you know. And if, you know, like they're like most beekeepers, they've also got, you know, some kind of veggie thing going on. Maybe they've also can do veggie shares. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities there. That would be a neat idea. Yeah. One seems to work in the, uh, uh, you know, my wife and I belong to a, a, a produce, I guess uh, you'd call it co-op. Sounds like yeah. we're going to get Sergio'd here in a minute, so mm-hmm. letting uh, everybody know, you know. We, um, uh, you know, we get we get a box a month of you know whatever vegetables happen to be uh, in harvest, and so, uh, so that's called a, a CSA, community yeah. supported agriculture. Yeah, yeah, CSA. Exactly. Well, and in some places you can buy like they call them shares. Like if you've got somebody who's got cows, you can buy a cow share, and so yeah. you get milk and cheese, and you know it's it's you know. Whereas like my my local CSA for meat, I can get pieces of a cow <laughs> after they rendered it. You know, so I'm not like getting milk and cheese. I'm getting I'm getting steaks and chops. I'm getting pieces of the cow. Yeah. So, uh, but I've seen it around here. There's a couple of places that do shares where you basically get the renewable bits, you know? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this whole thing about sustainability, I mean, it's kind of the new buzzword going on, the organic farming, all that kind of thing. And I think what, you know, there's another side to this mead making that I think a lot of us either, I don't know if we just forget it or just ignore it. It just isn't at the top of the list. But, you know, it is the bees that provide us the uh, materials to make meat. Uh, 
and what are we doing as whole meat makers? I mean, there's all kinds of ideas that we're going to, uh, you know, throw out to the panel here in a couple of weeks about, you know, what the industry can do. But what, what about us as whole meat makers? What, what is it that we can do to help contribute uh, to oh, the sustainability of, of, of bees and, and beehives, that kind of beekeepers even? I think the biggest one's going to be buying local. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually well, knowing your knowing your apiary rather than buying um, like corporate honey. Yeah, Tyson, what do you think? Well, I support I support the local stuff, um, but uh, but I don't know. I, my hardest part with doing anything local is is putting the time in to find those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so so any kind of sort of assistance you know if some if people have you know a, a group a community you know or if, if people just go in together or share the knowledge or some sort of local exchange so that you can you can find this stuff that would help me uh do that yeah. alan i mean i'm in, in agreement one of the hardest things i mean honey.com their honey locator is fantastic for finding things but it's still oftentimes in the few like when i've gone and searched it still seems mostly larger packers and finding the local honeys and unfortunately like some of it comes down to cost too so supporting your local beekeeper is significantly more expensive because they can make so much more money selling at dollar a pound or sorry at eight dollars a pound eight dollars i want to pay so like i want to pay three dollars a pound if i'm going to buy in bulk and trying to find that agreement where i'm going to get 10 gallons of honey a year because that's how much i need minimum even on a home brewing scale like it's Mm -hmm. it's difficult um, granted, at the same time, I always want to buy local. It's just it's harder to find that quantity from the local farmers market. You're, well, and you're right because I have gone to. I mean, the, they've got a um, um, state fairgrounds flea market here. State fairgrounds is right in Raleigh, and the flea market's biggest one like in four states. I mean, it's just ginormous, and they have it every weekend. And there's a lot of local. There's a lot of local farmers. So you've got the honey folks, and uh, in the summer months, you're going to see some of the veggie people out there and stuff like that. But um, I've gone to the honey sellers and said, all right, uh, I'm a mead maker and I buy my honey in five gallon pails. What kind of price can you give me for that? And they're like, well, I wouldn't want to even sell it to you in five gallon pails because see this honey bear right here, I get 850 for that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, and it's like six ounces of honey and, and they're getting like, I mean, so I can't blame them. I mean, if they can sell it all day long at eight, $9 a pound, why would they have any motivation to sell it to me for $3 a pound if, if I'm going to buy five gallons? Yeah. Well, my yeah. apiary is a little bit bigger than it, it, it's a fairly large apiary to the point where it actually buys honey off of some local beekeepers as well. Oh, okay. um, but they've got a, you know, right in their store, if you go there, they've got a bulk tank and they're quite happy with um, you bringing your own containers and buying at it's, it's three something a pound. Which is that three something a pound Canadian, right? Uh, yeah. But the price is. Be- <laughs> For you to buy it, it would be better than $3 a pound, but for me to buy it, it's still $3 a pound. Yeah, yeah. I always get oh. the math backwards on that one. Anything, uh, I, I usually shop by the pound, too, if I, you know, when I'm looking around for honey. Um, and I, mean, I try to well, limit, uh, I, you know, I, I put my upper limit at like five bucks a pound. I'm, I'm not going to pay any more than that. If I have to pay more than that, then I'm either not looking hard enough or I need to quit meat making and brew beer. Or it's a really, really special honey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Something that I can't get locally, you know, I'd be willing to pay a little bit extra to get. 
I'm fortunate though because I, I just hooked up with a local beekeeper uh, that I bought my first five gallon bucket of honey from. Wait, was that, was that honey? Was that any good? I mean, <laughs> you had to do that. Oh, yeah, really. You can, you can listen choir. to. You can listen to the past three or four shows and figure that out. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I can't figure that out just oh listening. God. I mean, I got to try it to really know. <laughs> who knew, even, and who uh, knew God was a beekeeper? I mean, really, go figure. You know? <laughs> even uh, even uh, Chris from uh, Mississippi, I mean, uh, he even called the show and, and uh, was raving about it, too. But <laughs> here's the deal, okay? Um my, you know, I figure I got to give back somehow, and I, I'm I'm really into this whole sustain. I mean, you're talking to an old farmer from Colorado, anyway, rancher, former rancher. So I'm 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 very big on sustainability. Uh, you know, the organic part, the whole nine yards, and I got to figure out how can I give back somehow, uh, and try to ensure the survival of the bee. Uh, and what I'm going to do is work with my beekeeper. I'm going to go out with him and learn his trade and help him do what he does. Uh, and that makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm contributing. Uh, and for that, I mean, if I get a five gallon bucket of honey from him at a reduced cost, then fine. But if not, I don't care because I'm still contributing. And, well, and that's and that might be the simplest answer. Go help your local beekeeper. Don't just buy local. Go help local. Yeah. 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 My smaller uh, my, my smaller beekeeper, if his bees hadn't all died, that's what I had been planning to do. New Jersey is on the line with us tonight. Sergio Motella joining the show. Welcome, Sergio. Hey guys, how you doing? Pretty hey, good. Sergio. 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 Hey. We're, uh, right, I'm the other, I'll be I'll be the third kid on the podcast. The third. <laughs> <laughs> We're, Are, uh, but you're like the older brother, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan and Tyson. I got I got each of their heads under each of my arms. <laughs> <laughs> don't, and don't forget to tweak their ears. You know, noogies. <laughs> yeah. What uh, you know in this whole sustainability movement, guys? Uh, is there a role that agriculture should play? Uh, in this, uh, you know, we're talking pesticides, chemicals, that kind of thing. Yeah, we don't even want to go there, though, because that leads to a whole can of worms that, that once you open it, consumes you. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I think, it, yeah, I mean, I noticed oh. uh, my, my local grocery store, all well, Aldi, actually, just said that they stopped selling uh, vegetables with, was it neo, can never neonicotinoids. Yeah, neonicotinoids, yeah, that they stopped selling veggies in which that is used. And I thought, that's cool, you know, because that's one step further. It's one step further without having to go into that place where Monsanto comes and kicks your door down and takes you yeah. away, you know, which nobody wants to go there. <laughs> you know? No, but when, it, you know, I mean, it impacts those of us at home, too. I mean, uh you know, I mean, it's, I mean, everybody goes to farmers markets and farmer farmer markets uh, across the country are on the rise. People are getting into the organic produce and organic foods. They're they're wanting to eat and drink healthier. Uh, and you know, I mean, at that point, uh, I mean, what do, what are we doing? I mean, what what do you what do we think? Uh, 
you know, should we be talking to our congressman about limiting pesticides, chemical, that kind of thing in our food? I mean, it includes honey, you know. Well, why don't you, uh, why don't you make a, uh, you know, a need for it, right? Like if you just do stuff at home that uses all these great things, uh, then more people will want to do it because there's money in it, right? Um, isn't that the basic sort of yeah. economics here? So if we, yeah. if we, if everybody can just do everything at home, like make meat at home, that'll that'll make everybody want more honey uh, and and more mead too. Um, but yeah. then you can do you can do a whole bunch of other stuff at home that involves local stuff, um, and uh, and it's healthy for you too. Because Vicky Vicky saw the photo that I posted on Twitter. Sorry, JD, you didn't, you didn't see it. Um, and she said, "Tweet, yeah." And she and asked, "What is?" You're fermenting. Yeah, go ahead and just describe it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see a jar of what looks like fermented, uh, uh, not slaw, but uh, sauerkraut, and I can't tell what's in the. I can't tell what's in this other jar. It looks like a. It looks like a, a, an embryonic shrimp clinging to the wall of a jar, but I think that's something behind it. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, your you're seeing you're seeing the pink elephant behind oh, the glass. The pink oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I see a glass of what's probably vinegar. Um, a Charm City um, Mead Works can of mead, uh, your horn thing, your, your horn mug, uh, your microphone, which I love the poofy red ball. It looks like a clown nose. And, yes. uh, <laughs> and so obviously, yeah, yeah, and you're saying I'm going to mix a drink. So I'm just wondering, what are you going to do with the sauerkraut? You know? <laughs> well, the, the sauerkraut is something I just, I mean, I had to finish it before I came down here. Um, and it was just leftovers, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of people who, who on, on the opposite side, you, you could control the whole production. You make everything organic or whatever. But we could also just waste less coming out the other side. And so this was like two leftover carrots that didn't get used up for some meals um had a few jalapenos that were starting to to you know like get shrivelly um had half a cabbage and uh, and some weird radishes i bought at the uh, asian supermarket <laughs> and so uh so i'm just gonna ferment it and uh and you can you can see the little the little uh blue nipple thing on the top that's yeah. my that's that's my pickle pipe uh ah. so it's from it's from mason tops and they had a kickstarter and so it's a silicone airlock so i don't need a moat of water or i don't need you know a three-piece nice. you know like nice. mead one i can just it fits right on the top of a mason jar and uh the little the little nipple thing lets the gases out and nothing in so oh, and, that's cool Where's i would be uh, so proud you're fermenting in mason jars i know right <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've almost got up to doing the meat in them, um, but there's a, there's a little gadget inside. It's these little glass pebbles to uh-huh. hold down the fermenting stuff to keep it below the water line. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole whole setup. It's great. Um, so that's going there. That's not going in the drink, at least not at this end. Um, it's got it's got a ferment. But you, hey, I've seen some people use uh, sauerkraut juice or kimchi juice in things. Um, I haven't gone so far as to make it into a mead cocktail. But uh, one day, you know, I'll you do never that. know. <laughs> it could happen. Well, why right. they, you, uh, you got the kombucha on the right, though, for the, the mead cocktail, right? Yes, yes, you did see the kombucha. So that's that's what's in the, the oh, nondescript Oh, that kombucha jar. on the right? Yes. Okay, I thought, um, I thought vinegar, but all right. And so I wanted to do a, a do a sour mead, and so I figured if I just mix it with my kombucha, the Charm City in the can here will... Uh, We'll carbonate up the uh, the kombucha and it'll be sour. And then in the little glass, I've got some ginger syrup that I also did, and I threw in a dash of orange bitters. So that's all going to go in the alehorn, uh, alehorn.com. 
you know, if you want to go buy one, we talked about them in one of our posts. We got a link that you can go check out. Um, that science show on TV here not long ago for kids. What, what was that called? The science show for children. I mean, is this one like where Bill it was Nye like the science guy, <laughs> or is it like Mr. Wizard or something even older? Well, might well, I mean, you know, well, maybe it wasn't for kids, but there was there used to be a science <laughs> show on. We should start a science show. Tyson's uh... <laughs> weird acts of science. Yeah. <laughs> and Ty- Tyson hasn't done the wild meads yet. I'm the one with all that stuff going on. Oh, you're doing the wild meads? Oh, well, cool. I, I I'm have a wild, wild drinking. You're wild making. So yeah, I, I have a wild yeast <laughs> ferment that actually came out really good. Um, maybe I'll sneak a bottle in and bring it to the Mazer Cup. We'll see. There you go. There you uh, go. I'm actually going to do a side by side comparison of the wild yeast against the ale yeasts for like the bomb and then WLP 001, 002, and 570. Um, And then I have like uh, inspired by Frank Goldbeck when he talked about the Jun that started their sour program. Oh yeah. I I drink a lot of yerba mate (laughs) and so I'm making a yerba mate and honey concoction trying to wild ferment who knows what the heck's starting in there? Because I, I don't have access to an actual jun. It has some interesting growths in it. <laughs> Nothing moldy yet, but there's at least some yeast. There's stringy uh, stuff in there, is there? At least some bacterial bloom. And I don't really know what else is coming on in there. So hopefully cool. I don't die between one of these episodes, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Sergio? Are you doing anything weird and strange these days? No, not really. Can't say I have. <laughs> Did you hear Boucher started? New, but nothing, uh, no, not yet. But that, that Boucher that I'm going to be doing is going to be like a year-long project before it's ever released, though. It's, oh, uh, yeah? It's kind of a little top-secret recipe. But we're about to start it up in a few months, but it'll only be released like probably by fall of 2018 or 2017, rather. When's the uh, prickly pear coming out? Because you, you cook some of those up in those fermenters, right? Oh, yeah, that's that's actually coming out in the end of this month, third, fourth week of, uh, of February. Yeah, we got a, we got a ton of meats coming out at the end of this month. This is me making a Jaeger face. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows my opinion of prickly pyramids. I'm not, I, I, keep, I do not keep a secret about that. Although, I will try <laughs> yours because, hey, you never know. You know. You never know. Well, you always said you didn't like dry strawberry meads, and I had you taste one of mine when you came up to oh, visit. Oh, I love you, yours, yeah. Well, I, unless, I you, unless you were really couldn't... feeling it, you said you liked it. So. No, 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 I don't mind <laughs> about those things. I would have I, I would have found some nice way to go, oh, interesting, you know, but I wouldn't have actually come out and said it was good if it wasn't good. Um, yeah, I think you did yeah. use the word dude in the, in the response, so I, I, took, I took it as authentic. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was it. No, I was really surprised because it's it's rare to find a dry strawberry that's good. Uh, it's hard to do a dry strawberry and sustain the fruit. I don't know why that is. I don't know the chemistry of it, but I, it's rare to see a dry strawberry that really makes it. So I was really surprised that yours turned out so well. I was prepared for it to be bad, and it wasn't. Yeah, secret is a lot of strawberry, and you have to leap a little tiny bit of residual sweetness. Yeah, yeah like you got something in there. final gravity. Like, yeah. Is that the uh, the solo uh, fragola? Yep, yep. I'm good. Yeah, I'm that, be- no, it was served. It was served at the James Beard House uh, last year. 
Oh, nice. Is that one of the ones that yep. you had at the beer house? Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm, yep. I'm serving it at a uh, tasting that we uh, auctioned off at my kids' uh, elementary school fundraiser. So oh, they're fun. gonna they're gonna get to try that next weekend. <laughs> Man's auctioning off drinking <laughs> sessions at the elementary school fundraiser. Think about this. Hey, <laughs> those, those children no have parents. That we're no, talking about true. sustainability. We need a next generation mead drinker too. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but these are elementary school students, and those parents probably need a drink. So you know. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes, if you if you've met them, you you would understand they do need a drink. Hey, I had I had a kid. Well, I have a kid, but she's no longer a child. But uh, yeah, uh, there was there was many that commercial where the mom's grabbing one and then two bottles of wine as she goes by at the grocery store when they're calling for the snowstorm. That was yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like That's yeah, mommy's some, juice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, mommy's juice, and then we hit the liquor store on the way home. You know, so yeah. I forgot to ask, uh, what are you guys drinking? I have Sinfonia from Melavino. Or Sinf- Sinfonia, is that how you pronounce it, Sergio? Yeah. Probably. Sinfonia, yeah. Um, it's okay. a, uh, a mead made from three different honey varietals and oaked. It's enjoyable. Okay. Well, well, Sergio knows what it is. Wait, wait that's Alan, him. right? That's Alan. That's <laughs> yes, that's right? Alan. Okay, sorry. I, I started writing under Tyson going, wait, that's Alan. Okay. Sorry, I meant uh, to email you this, but I made the decision like five minutes before I got on. That's not a problem. Yeah, no worries. It's all good. You know, what about you, Tyson? What you drinking? Well, you saw in the picture, I got uh, oh, the right, Charm yeah, City uh, Elderberry. Charm City was, I was elder. But, I couldn't see. But I've already checked that into Untapped, so I'm going to have to go find something else to check in. Yeah, you said you needed to do your uh, your yeah. Happy Mardi Gras, uh, everybody! Yeah, happy Mardi Gras! Woo! Take the beads, Minister. Yeah, where, right, no. where's where's the got mead beads? Yeah, I know, right? Well, AJ and I need to lift our shirts so we can get some beads, right? Done. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was out loud, wasn't it? That yeah, wasn't loud. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, Sergio, what about you? What are you drinking? Um, I'm drinking a soon-to-be-released also in another three weeks. I'm drinking our new ginger mead that's coming out. Mm. Has it got a name yet? Yeah, it's called The Root Cause. Ah, I love it! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll get that all updated in the, uh, the, in the yeah, page. I, I, ran a, I ran 150 pounds of fresh ginger through my home uh, food processor. Oh my goodness! Through your home food processor? Yeah, it almost overheated about twice. We had to let it cool off for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, time to get a commercial one. You're having too much fun with all your other commercial toys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> glycol, independent glycol chillers, and oh, I was all sorts of lab equipment and everything else. I mean, come on. I was on the phone with um, Dara. Um, from Falcon Mead in uh, in uh, North in New Mexico today, and uh, he was talking about how he needs to get a bottling line. And I said, "You need to go to the AMMA group on Facebook and go search for Sergio and bottling line." I said, "He's got like the he's got like God's own bottling line now in his place." <laughs> and, and I said, "I'm pretty sure it not only does it load the bottles and then pack the bottles, but it washes the bottles." caps the bottles, labels the bottles, talks nice to the bottles, and then shakes them up a little bit before it puts them in. You know, I said, it does everything. And he's like, right before going in the box, yeah. Yeah, you know. So, <laughs> and he's like, really? You know, and I was like, yeah, there's pictures and everything. It's totally awesome. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, there's a lot of new toys. That's why we're also broke. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to you need to do like uh, you need to do like um, like they're doing up in Michigan. Uh, St. Ambrose got himself a uh, um, I think it's like a, one of those state funded business forward loans. Mm. Yeah, a couple hundred grand that you know they, they, they'd at least you know pay for the down payment on that bottling line that she got <laughs> yeah no yeah everything's paid off we have zero debt but nice. again we're broke yeah. yeah but you're selling your meat and this is a good thing you know yeah it's all it's all an investment basically you know yeah now we're well, kind of looking at it as uh, we have everything we need so money's staying in the bank account now <laughs> This is a good thing. That's cool. Yeah. It's nice to finally hit that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I spelled Mel- Melavino wrong. Oh, shoot me. I hope to eventually hit that point before I die. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. I'd be able to at least like say, be able to say that for a, you know, a minute. Look, debt free. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> That would be that would be too cool. So, all right. So, J- um, so JD, how's that wildflower honey mead going? <laughs> it's uh, doing pretty well. Uh, we're uh, quite a ways into it. It's the fermentation slowed down quite a bit. Uh, probably going to rack it here in a few days and uh, add about eight eight or nine vanilla beans to it and just let it sit for a year. So, wow. come along pretty good. I did a... So, yeah, uh, you, you, used, you used all of the honey? I used uh, 20, I don't know, some, something around 22, 23 pounds. I, I, don't, I don't go by exact measurements. I use the hydrometer anymore. Uh, I put enough in to get it up where I need it, and then finish it off with the hydrometer so i have no idea how many pounds that actually went in but uh, what was your starting gravity uh 1.135 okay oh okay that's not bad yeah so uh i made a i made a one gallon version using the same yeast uh the same honey and stuck a vanilla bean in during secondary and it's already cleared uh gave a little glass of it to my wife. She said it tasted like a cream soda. Mm. So, uh, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to get to with this uh, wildflower thing. If I can make this big batch taste like the little batch, then uh, then it's a good thing. Cream soda. How interesting. Thanks. Yeah. I like cream soda. Me yeah. too. Not carbonated, mind you. Uh I don't, I don't I just don't care for carbonated meats, but uh uh, that's what uh, that's that's what she came away with. So. Hmm. Coming from the guy who said he loved Golden Coast meads. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, well, I, I'm calling uh, your BS on this. The, then yeah. again, I don't like dry meads, and those were, and I like them. So. <laughs> yeah, there's. Uh, I mean, there, there's a big difference in, in the meads that I've tasted. Golden Coast meads were were not like anything else that I have ever tasted. And they were they were more on a very refreshing type of. I mean, the the, the ones that I had were were to me summertime type stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could sit out under the sun, uh, you know, and stuff a couple of those in a cooler and drink them like I would have, you know, a couple of bottles of beer. Where other meads, I wouldn't think of doing that. 
you know, even some of the stuff I've got uh, from uh, Sergio. Uh, you know, very good meads, but uh, I don't know that I would put them in a cooler and take them out and, you know, you know, sit at the beach with them. Uh, you know, so, I mean, it's just my, my, my own personal uh, drinking habits, I guess, or choices. Well, yeah, you're not a, you're not going to be drinking 12, 14 percent alcohol, anything at the beach. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't know. I see Those people doing it all the time. They're the ones that are the most amusing to watch. You know. <laughs> Just don't go swimming, please. Yeah. Nobody's endorsing that. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, don't try this at home. <laughs> yes, the Golden Coast meads are 12 percent. Uh, you know, and then even this uh, nectar of the hops I'm drinking from Redstone Meadery, I, I quite like this. Uh, it is carbonated, but it's it's more beer-like. I mean, I can you can taste another the hops. another one another one that flies in the hole. I don't like carbonated thing. Hmm. Well, That's yeah, it's a trend. Uh, you know, some some I do, some I don't. I mean, you know, it's personal choice. I think. And no, I don't like a lot of things carbonated. Cold beer, yes. Some meads, yes. Uh, I don't, you know, we don't drink sodas, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, we don't drink carbonated, uh, I don't know, what do you call them, red wines or carbon rosés or whatever the hell they're called. I don't know. I, I've always been a fan of uh, cheap rosés that are carbonated. <laughs> 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 you know, they mix good with ginger ale. <laughs> they call that a wine cooler or something? It's a spritzer, I think, is what they used to call them. Something. Yeah, when you mix it with ginger ale. Yeah. Yeah, wine coolers are what the what the big three make and bottle up, and they're you know like sort of stuff like drinking Kool Aid, wine plus much. juice generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but you know, this this is a this meat experience is a whole new thing for me. And yeah, I started out. I don't like carbonated beverages other than beer. But since I never had a carbonated meat before, yeah, there's some I like. But uh, there's some, like I had one, I don't recall the name, but I actually let it set out with the top off and uh, drank it later, and uh, I liked it better. So, mm -hmm. you know, personal choice. Yeah. I've had, I don't know, I've had, um, I've had, you know, regular meads and carbonated meads, and it just depends on the meat. Some... Yeah. Some get carbonated. They're like, what were you thinking? You know, because I've judged some that it was like, okay, where were you going with this? Why? You're right. Exactly. And, um, you know, and, and some, some are just really awesome that way. But, you know, I mean, you don't see, I see a lot more home meads that way than pro because the, uh, with the pro meads, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Sergio, there's like ridiculously stupid taxes on, uh, on carbonated meads, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, you, you jump from seventeen cents a gallon to about three dollars and fourteen cents a gallon if it's sparkling. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was having well, this conversation earlier with Dara, and he was saying that ciders—it's a whole different thing, especially now that the cider act has passed. Yeah, yeah. The, the meat industry, but the, you know, the AMMA—one of the goals is to, to try to ride the, ride the coattails of that, you know, and try to throw meat into that same category, like anything under. I think we're going for same thing as cider, like anything under eight and a half percent. 
that mm-hmm. we can carbonate. Basically, it would double the allowed amount of carbonation up to almost like four volumes of CO2 um, that uh, without actually having to pay the sparkling wine tax. You know, the whole sparkling wine tax, that was like the big, it was a luxury tax that was imposed way back when, you know, when there yeah. were no sparkling wines being produced in the U.S. and all the mm. sparkling wine was imported champagne. So, uh, so it's another holdover. Tax and, yeah, and never got rid of it. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a blue law. You know, it's just one of those weird things that's just left over from days gone by that should have gone away a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But nobody's ever been yeah. bothered to do anything about it. Okay, yeah. Tyson. So what do we got now? Charm City elderberry plus ginger syrup plus kombucha and orange bitters. Interesting. Yeah, that was my drink. And uh, even though Charm City's in a can, it's carbonated. You know, if, even though they're not allowed to go up to four volumes or whatever, it's still like shot everywhere. I, I was I've been cleaning my phone. Uh, somehow it got got in my phone case. So. But the drink, ah, no. the drink is lovely. I mean, like. I'm glad I just wrote all that down so I can remember what I did next time. But, uh, but yes, this is a very nice drink. Yeah, I'm trying to fit it into a retweet right now because it's like 10 too long. So. <laughs> well, take out all the spaces. I am working on that, yeah. <laughs> JD, are you taking notes? I'm drinking mead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. JD, I tried to get a photo of the... Uh, the wild stuff I have going, I can't do anything to get a photo of this stuff. I've got like weird globs of like hills growing in the bottom of it. That I think are all, I think it's bacterial blooms that are putting out cellulose that is similar to the what forms in a kombucha, but I can't capture it with my phone at all. I, I think I had something that got infected once and it produced cellulose because I had to peel it and it peeled in a sheet off of my my brew bag. So did you pound yeah. it into mead paper and then sell it? You know, I mean, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> Another sustainability project. That's Here we go. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> taking, taking, you know, mash that up with a whole bunch of shredded junk mail and paper. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 100% recycled. That's right. Now my current science project is the bucket of, um, apple shreds with uh, water and sugar and apparently fruit flies that I chucked out in the garage because fruit flies. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, the, the, the uh, better half gets pissy when fruit flies are all over the kitchen. Well, I get pissy when fruit flies are all over the kitchen, too. They get up my nose and stuff, and I keep yelling yeah. at them to stop licking my stuff, you know. Yeah. Try running a meadery with fruit flies, man. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, what do you, what do, you do about that? fermenting, you know? What do you do about I that? I mean, e- I keep the EC on 24 hours a day. Yeah. yeah. That's the only thing that's like, you know, besides obviously keeping everything nice and clean. Uh, I mean, once they're there, they're kind of like, they're, yeah. they're not going anywhere. Yeah. We, even when we you put clean up. up. Fly, yeah. We put a few fly strips up like here and there around the production area. And then whenever we leave, we leave out like one or two glasses of like, with like half an ounce of meat in them. And that uh, nothing even on top. That's just enough to kind of get them into the glass, and they stay there and yeah. get rid of them slowly. But uh, I find a little bit of the AC on actually really helps. I find a little bit of cider vinegar in the bottom of a ramkin with a drop of dish soap does the trick yep. really nicely because it breaks the surface yep. tension. So when they come to get some, they drown. Yeah. Well, and see what I do too is I would make a cone of paper. 
and uh, put it in like a mason jar so I can get a cone of paper and stick it in there and then they fly in and they can't figure out how to fly back out if they manage to survive somehow. Mm. So they, there you go, folks. Never knew how to kill fruit flies. Thanks for listening to Got Me Live. We just told you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Genocide. <laughs> Three different yeah. ways to solve your fruit fly problem. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. Uh, uh, reduce the fruit fly population. They, yeah, they are. I, you know, I never thought about that on a metery level, but oh, my God. Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, even if you keep things really clean, there's going to be spillage. You know, I mean, you got honey, you got fruit, you got... You know, fruit juice, you got, you got, gosh, you just got stuff everywhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, even, I mean, we, we keep everything like stick and span, but, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, even to the point where, where if we pull a sample out of like a sample valve from one of our tanks, we're shooting like star sand up into the sample mm-hmm. valve, even after we close it. I mean, everything, but there, there's just really not much you can do with that much CO2 being produced, or they're just always going to, they're always going to find their way in, you know? They linger. Yeah. But I'm sure it's the same way at any, any meadery, winery, brewery, anywhere that's uh, dist- uh, distilling, anywhere that's fermenting. I mean, it's, it's always going to be a, a problem. So you yeah, don't start a meadery to make mead. You start a meadery because you love mopping. Yeah. That's the main goal. You want to be a janitor in your life if you start well, a meadery. Well, if you go, if you go look on, if you go look on the, um, you know, in the mead groups, that's what John Talkington says. You know, that's why he's, you know, the the, gl- the glamorous life of a brewer mopping floors. <laughs> oh yeah, listen, well, especially on the owner side then. of things. Yeah, eighty <laughs> percent of the job is cleaning. Twenty percent is paperwork. Uh, whatever. <laughs> well, there is nothing left after that. But whatever time you got left, that's when you make mead. <laughs> yeah it's not all making meat and drinking meat all day i wish no that's just all night yeah all day yeah. is the real work. i well and i don't know you know i mean i get to the point there there comes a point and this happens to me every year at the Mazer cup but not so much during the rest of the year because i'm not drinking mead all the time at home but um after the Mazer cup I don't want anything to do with mead for like days, weeks, months even, <laughs> you know, I mean, cause I'm just, I'm just meaded out, you know, I mean, I'm so ready for a beer at the end of the Mazer cup. It's not funny. <laughs> it was recommended and, to go find a really good IPA last year because you're just all that sweetness that comes through. You need something to cut through. Yeah. That bitter pretty much. really helps. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of IPAs, so I usually go for like a Porter or a Creek or something like that, you know, but, um, I just want something not mead. You know, at that point, Sergio, do you do you ever get to do you ever get to where you just don't even want to drink your own stuff that much? You know, not really. But I'll I'll say this: I mean, we you know we drink a good amount of beer at the meadery. We just we don't only just drink mead. Uh, yeah. it's kind of like they say: it's uh, you know it takes a lot of great beer to make great wine. Uh, I think this, <laughs> the same thing applies in a meadery setting, in my opinion. Yeah, because if you're drinking meat all the time, I mean, geez, you're not going to get anything done. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I love like the crossover only eating ability. one thing. Yeah, it is. I, I like, like the crossover. Of, no matter no, how sorry. much you like mac and cheese, you still don't want to eat it every day, all day for every meal. <laughs> well, no, but three or four times a week isn't bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially if it's really good macaroni and cheese. Oh my god, I had a lobster mac and cheese when I was down in Charleston a few weeks ago. Holy <laughs> god! Oh, it was so good, and it came with truffle fries. Truffle I mean, fries, oh, nice. just 
Just saying. I mean, truffle fries, if you have not had truffle fries and you have the opportunity, I hope they're good truffle fries because these were, they were da bomb, man. They were so good. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So good. Yeah. Either truffle fries or, or duck fat fries. Duck fat fries are good too. Yeah. I have a duck in the freezer. I'm going to try that. Oh man. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah, the I've, new thing I've, now. You're starting to see them like everywhere, truffle fries. And then they sprinkle them with Parmesan cheese. So truffle fries with Parmesan cheese sprinkled on them. It's like, <gasps> it's like evil. I mean, I'm pretty sure you go straight to hell after you eat them. You don't even pass go. You just straight to hell. No hand oh, basket required, of, you know. Speaking of duck, I've I've marinated duck in uh, an orange blossom honey mead, which was phenomenal. Mm. Oh, yeah? Oh, I'll bet. Think uh, like an orange blossom honey mead with like some garlic and uh, chicken bouillon cube. Kind of nice. get it all mixed up and okay. marinate the chicken and just braise it in the marinade. I've I've done turkeys with mead marinades, and um, what's really fun is the gravy you get out of that afterwards. Oh my god! I find you it know? a little bit too yeah. sweet for me, but then again, I usually only use sweet mead because I usually only have sweet mead. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've used sweet, semi-dry, and you're right. It does tend to come out a, a wee bit sweet, but it's so interesting, you know? But yeah, I've, I've done it with a dry red wine, and that makes a very interesting gravy. I'll, I'll agree with you there. <laughs> Doug is saying, Doug is saying, chicken and waffles? <laughs> 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 He must. Yeah. Apparently, apparently, there's no sleeping in the Netherlands tonight. So, <laughs> poor Doug. Yeah, poor Doug. But uh, I feel you, Doug. My back has like been spasming for days and weeks now, and they can't seem to stop it. So I totally feel your pain. Um, but yeah, I, and it's it's amazing what you can do with that. I love playing with meat and food, and I'll just like grab the nearest bottle of meat and just you know pour a dollop and roast when I make a roast. Um, in the crock pot, I'll, I'll put a, like a half a bottle of meat in there because it just tenderizes the crap out of it. It's so oh, I really like uh, I really apart. like using what I like doing is when I have drags from a batch, I'll use that for slow cooker or liquor or whatever, or um, you know, in in the roasting pan or whatever. For especially with pork, I find meat and pork pair really really well together. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely, especially sizers. Oh God, yes. Yeah, sizers and pork, uh, nice, either like pork tenderloin or pork chop. I mean, yeah, sizers are the way to go for me, my opinion, but uh, with pork. But they, that's a pretty interesting concept, too, like cooking with meat or just, you know, making things with meat or enhancing any kind of food with meat. That's something that definitely hasn't, uh, one subject that hasn't been touched upon in depth, I think. Uh, that there's definitely a gray area for for somebody to fill in. Hmm. Like I've experimented just only so much, only because I used to cook a lot. But uh, since opening the meter, I haven't cooked as much as I normally do. But I've I finished my Thanksgiving Day gravy actually with Sinfonia, the the meat that Alan's drinking right now. Mm-hmm. It's very like earthy. It's it's one third orange blossom, a third wildflower, and a third buckwheat honey. And we ferment oh, okay. it on the blend of three different oaks. It comes off tasting like almost kind of like a, like a sweet scotch kind of a thing. And uh, I've finished my Thanksgiving Day gravy with, uh, with that mead. I've, I've poured a bourbon barrel uh, aged mixed berry mead into my cranberry sauce, which came out mm. incredible as well. Um, one of be. our customers made mead jam, which that was phenomenal, by the way. Um, I've done that. I've so, done that a couple of times. 
Yeah, there's so many things. I, I made a mead sorbet, which was pretty awesome. Mead over ice cream, that was awesome. <laughs> I mean, there there's so many things that you could do with it, and and I and I know Tyson's played around quite a bit with mead cocktails that I wouldn't mind kind of kind of exchanging some tales as far as that goes because that's something um, I used to bartend for many years, and that's actually one thing I still haven't had time to really fool around with. Yeah, there's there's a lot of guys out there on the internet who've been making mead cocktails and stuff, and um, some of it, uh, it, it a lot of it seems specific to you know certain kinds of mead, um, and I'd almost want to take it and make it generic. Say like, all right, you need a, a sizer, you know, or you know, boil yeah. it down to that level so that it's more, uh, it's easily translatable for anybody. Because uh, I know Redstone, they have a, a paper, you know, that has all their cocktails, so you can go in the store and you can buy some of their different ones. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you don't have any more of their meads because you drank them all up and you can't get them, then, yeah. then <laughs> how, do I ma- how do I make those drinks? Yeah. Oh, you know what the funny thing is? Just rem- I just re- reminded myself. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the show Bar Rescue, and a few weeks ago, within the last season, um, they actually did have one uh, one place that they uh, they rescued that they implemented two different cocktails onto their menu that used mead. Mm, and really? I mean, they they spoke about mead for maybe like a quick t- uh, twelve to fourteen seconds while right. they were explaining those cocktails and what it is. But I thought that was actually pretty cool. Cool. That is cool. Yeah. Now if we can just get it on Iron Chef, we'll, and, and you know, and uh, then, then it'll be good. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Tell you what, I'm the closest one to the city, to New York. So I'll I'll go by and visit Bobby Flay real quick and see what <laughs> I can get done. <laughs> actually, the chef that uh, that selected one of my meats to pour at the James Beard House, he's he, he is actually friends with Bobby Flay. I might be able to have an in over there too. Yeah, get meat on the Food Network, and I love those shows where they're like, here's your six ingredients, make something. Okay, here's a bottle of meat and, you know, salmon and nutmeg and garlic and salt and, you know, and uh, uh, durian fruit. You know, mm. make something, <laughs> make something from this. Right, they, right had, they had outrageous acts of science and say, just to decide here, I, we're, we're big fans of outrageous acts of science, which they go and find weird shit on the internet. And then they talk about the science behind it, you know, and whether or not it was real. If it was real, then they talk about how the science worked. But um, they had durian fruit on there. And it was so funny because that is a recurring. And, um, and AJ, you'll know this because you've been on the forums forever. Every About every year, somebody comes up and says, can you make a meat with durian fruit? And then there's this whole chorus of, oh, my God, that's, that's so nasty. Oh, my God. You know, because. <laughs> Yes, but why would you want to? Yeah, right. Yeah, and um, and so it was just hilarious watching all these scientists uh, talk about uh, the durian fruit and the chemical analysis thereof. They had all these chemists on there, and they were discussing it because mm. it smells it smells horrible, but apparently it tastes pretty good. So if you can sort of divorce your nose from your taste buds, which is hard because that's like seventy percent of taste, um, yeah. you know, then then it's pretty good. So I was like, okay, good, good luck with that. My new food vendor yeah, aunt brought these things called bake apples with her, and they smelled horrible. They smelled like old socks while they were cooking, but after they were cooked, the smell went away, and they actually tasted really good. So you, know, you Dan, never really Dan know. Gordon, yeah. Dan Gordon from uh, Gordon Beers Company, whenever they hire a, uh, a new employee at the brewery, they mm-hmm. take them out to eat, and part of their initiation is they have to eat a whole serving of durian ice cream. 
Yeah. And they and they video every single new employee doing it. Seeing <laughs> lots of Jaeger faces, you know. Well, there's a there's a a faux house I go to that's got durian shake on the on the on the menu. Yeah, I've never I I don't think I've ever seen it. If I do, I'll try it because I'm curious, but uh um yeah, I don't know what it would taste like. I mean, does it? And once you process it into ice cream, does it still stink? I don't know. You know, there's certain things I would never put into meat. Yeah, well, yeah, but people do it every year. There's somebody that puts durian into meat. I mean, hell, for that matter, we've got the great bacon experiment going on in the Got Meat page right now, which are on the Got Meat group, which just just cracks me up. Oh, that's nothing yeah. new. They were doing that years ago too. Well, yeah, they've been doing it for ages, but it was fun to make a conversation a, out of it. Here's a really good tip for anybody <laughs> that's in that, that bacon meat experiment is uh, age it on some, like, you know, heavy toast or heavy plus toast uh, French <laughs> oak. And, and I'm telling you, get get a little bit of, like, a smoky character from some oak aging. Because I'm telling you, I've had, mm-hmm. I've had some women... Um, like three women actually come in and uh, taste the meat that we aged on some like heavy, uh, heavy plus toast, the French oak, and all three of them said the same thing that they kind of get a little bacon out of it. I said, "Are you?" Then I kind of refined it, uh, refined their uh, their thoughts, uh, and asked if they're just getting smokiness, and they said, "Oh yeah, that's what it is." But you know, subconsciously that could work. It could. And kind of like a little smoked product or something that's going to give you a little smokiness in the background. Yeah, smokiness would be good with that. That would make sense. When you started saying toasted, and I'm thinking, yeah, agent on toast. <laughs> BLTs, you know, so we do a little mayonnaise, a little tomato, a little lettuce in there, and it's all good, man. Yeah. BLTs. Yeah, coming out next month on Melovino, Eggs Benedict Mead. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. BLTs are much better than Eggs Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know where you're from, man. Uh, I love you, Eggs Benedict. Yeah, my husband's a big fan of Eggs Benedict. I'm, yeah, I'm indifferent. I'm, I'm an omelet kind of girl when it comes to my eggs, so. <laughs> well, there's there's so much there's so much uh, window of opportunity when it comes to making mead. That's that's kind of what I've always loved about it. And you know, I'm and I'm always into just getting like a 750 milliliter bottle or a one gallon jug and just like experimenting with different types of ingredients and fusing it like into a finished mead just to at least get an idea of what kind of uh, what kind of character that you know, new experimental ingredient might give to a mead to get kind of gauge with, you know, can we do something with this, you know? So there's always, there's always room for playing around. I've aged the mead on uh, an orange blossom mead on marshmallows and it was actually pretty nice. Uh, Marshmallows. Yeah. Just throw them on some marshmallows. Uh, with a little, with a vanilla bean, I made a, I made a gallon match of that. And, uh, it's pretty nice. Thank you for adding another to my to-brew list. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. If you have some finished mead, right, just throw it into a one-gallon jug and, you know, experiment with it. Experiment with the new new ingredient. You know, from from one five-gallon carboy, you could get five new, you know, experimentals. Yeah, that's what, well, Pete says that all the time. He says, if you're going to make one batch, make five batches and 
you know, and play, see what you can do. D- yeah. Doug until is- I run out of space. Well, there's that. Yeah. Uh, Doug is saying that uh, Mead would be a great story for the Big Bang Theory, that we should get Mead on the Big Bang Theory. I was like, yeah, because, you know, most Mead makers are nerds. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nerds uh, of a feather. Yeah, is a, a lot, a lot of room for experimenting. There's JD. I was beginning to think he was taking a nap. <laughs> no, actually, I was uh, going through a folder of photographs that I took uh, a couple of days ago. But uh, Chris uh, from Mississippi uh, just texted me. He's drinking Shram's The Statement Cherry Mellow Mel. Ooh, we got a bottle of The Statement. Chris, oh. uh, Mississippi Chris, why don't you give us a holler and uh, tell us all about it, bud? <laughs> if you're not neck deep in somebody's chest well, but he's drinking mead <laughs> probably not neck deep Your in somebody's is? chest then <laughs> Doug says Ghostbusters Marshmallow Man mead <laughs> <laughs> if somebody asks you if you're for God say yes <laughs> I'm doing that to a beer damn it That's so funny. So yeah, marshmallow, marshmallow meat. Because okay, then we need meadow foam honey. <laughs> yeah. What are you meadow talking about? Just add the marshmallows. <laughs> Probably way cheaper than meadow foam honey. They're going god. Yeah, for what meadow foam honey goes for these days. Way cheaper than meadow foam meadow foam honey. That's for sure. I take it you looked at it. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, even just during my homebrew days, I made uh, meadow foam traditional and. Paid enough on that. Yeah, but, I don't um, know. What, excuse me, I don't know what it's going for. Um, bulk, you know, bulk rates. You know what they're getting for it. If you buy, you know, a barrel of it or whatever. If you can even buy a barrel of it, I don't know. Well, the price definitely drops. I mean, on the commercial scale, you're still looking for most hundred varietals, uh, like your average, you know, clover, wildflower, orange blossom, alfalfa. I mean, you're looking at like the two dollar thirty five cent range. I would say. You know, per pound, but <clears throat> that's not too bad. So, Tyson and Alan, what do you guys got coming down the pike for the show? What's going on? This Thursday, we're recording a semi-competition-like session mead tasting. Oh, nice. Well, I guess that's this Saturday. We're recording. We're we're doing audio testing this Thursday, so we're going to be trying to recreate the session mead sweep that Nectar Creek did at the Mazer Cup last year. Mm. Um, nice. Trying a couple of their meads. I don't actually know what we're going to get through that day. We'll actually have uh, Sean from Mobius Meadery and Andrew from Charm City Meadworks there with us doing the tasting and then like six guys on the West Coast doing the tasting as well. So we'll see how audio comes up. Um, other than that, it's kind of an open book at this point. Okay, uh, cool. Let, let me know whenever uh, whenever you want me to come back on to talk to you guys for six hours for a 40-minute episode. I'm, I'm down. <laughs> that, that was, that was I know, a that's what we did, too. I didn't have to go to work. Uh, I got I a two-parter out of that. <laughs> we did the same thing. We're, like, on the phone forever, you know, and then it was like, oh, well, we broke it into two parts. I'm like, good idea. <laughs> Which, nobody, to be honest, nobody wants I'll to listen to me for that lie. I do not mind, because... It's not often you get to talk to other, you know, other people that are into mead. So yeah, so yeah, we'll, we'll make that work. 
Chris from Mississippi has joined us tonight. He's obviously put his patient on bypass and has <laughs> joined the live show. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. What's up? Yeah, I'm about hey, to neck deep, but it's not going to be in a. It's not going to be in a patient. I'm, I've got uh, raspberries. I've got a juice. Ah. Uh, what are you well, using? To juice your raspberries. I'm getting my. Uh, Getting my batch of the heart murmur ready for next year's Naser Cup. What are you using to juice your raspberries? Oh, I'm doing it the old fashioned way. Uh, Tater masher. Yeah, through a strainer bag. I put it in a blender, blend them up, and then put it in a strainer bag. I've heard that putting them in a blender is a bad thing because it actually destroys the Yeah. Stuff, which adds a lot of bitterness. Oh, no, no, it breaks, yeah, it breaks up the seeds uh, and adds, all, if it breaks adds the seeds. a lot of tannin, yeah. yeah. What, I've I, what, I've the, done, what I've done, I've done is taken, what I've done is taken the raspberries and I've actually put them through my tomato press with the fine sieve on it. It takes the seeds out completely and just leaves I, me with the pulp and the juice. I kind of well, cheated I'm, the last time blade. I did one. Oh, Okay. Yeah, it's like a like a weed whacker blade, and it won't chop the seeds up. Oh, so it's like nice. the plastic blade in a in a food processor. Ah, okay. I'd recommend fr- freeze sense. them, freeze and thaw them first. You'll get a lot more juice out of them. That's what I yeah. yeah they, I always freeze mine. They've been uh, frozen and and thawed, and uh, so they're going to get juice tonight. Uh, then the pulp's going in with some lysine to get the last bit out, color mm. extraction. And uh, so I them tonight, and everything's going in the fermenter tomorrow. Nice. Cool. <laughs> uh, what is this, version 12? Is this version 12? How many versions have this you is, went through for, uh, for, for that this is version? This is version number four. Uh, uh, the biggest problem has been uh, just getting the right ratio of juices and uh, trying to get it to balance out. I kept going way too heavy on the black currant. That's well, easy yeah, to do. They're I've powerful. Well, we had that conversation a while back where we were trying to figure out where that, because Chris was telling me all the different variations he's done and trying to figure out the right amount of black currants. Cause you're right, uh, Sergio, they're those little suckers are strong. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, Chris, Doug's, Doug's asking, do you do herniated discs too? Cause mm. uh, <laughs> he's LOLing cause he says he's on the mend and doesn't need surgery, but was just asking. <laughs> that's another, that's uh, another feel, need he's working on, I think. Yeah. I feel your pain because I'm on the verge of having a L5. So. Oh dear. Yeah. That's fun. L4 and L5 actually, but. Uh, yeah, I know how I know how he feels. Oh, JD tells me that we need to uh, we need to break into a round of commercials. So hang on tight, guys, and we'll be back here in just a minute. And that's how it's done. <laughs> I am still Vicky. Hey, this is JD Webb for Got Me Live. You know, winemaking was a way of life for Sergio Mutello while growing up. As an adult, his winemaking led to brewing beer and ultimately his discovery and passion for mead. Today at Melovino, his mead-making skills has earned him countless awards. His signature meads include Pepino, a light and refreshing cucumber, orange, and lemon session mead, and Sinfonia 
called the Scotch of Meads, is made with three honey varietals and a blend of three different oaks. Visit them in Vauxhall, New Jersey at 2933 Vauxhall Road, located in the rear of the Millburn Mall. And be sure and visit them online at melovino.com. Shipping to 22 states, try some Melovino mead yourself and book a tour and tasting. Melovino, a truly unique and exquisite craft mead experience. Besides being the county seat of Cass County, it's also the home of Prairie Rose Meadery, the only meadery in North Dakota. Owned and operated by Susan and Bob Rood, they produce five amazing meads with a sixth on the way, all available in their tasting room. From bees to bottles, the Prairie Rose Tasting Room is located at 3101 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota, and features their award-winning traditional and blackberry meads. Other amazing flavors available include ginger, mint, cherry, and an upcoming star anise mead. Tasting room hours are Thursday through Friday, 5 to 10 p.m., Saturday from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. Make Prairie Rose Meadery a must-do when you're in Fargo, North Dakota. Visit them online at prairierosemeadery.com or stop by at 3101 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota. Prairie Rose Meadery, a delightful mead experience. Ram's Mead crafts some of the most coveted meads available in the United States today. The Tasting Room at 327 West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale, Michigan features Shram's Mead in bottles and special release meads on tap. Shram'sMead.com. If you think you don't like mead, you haven't had a Shram's. Uncompromisingly delicious mead since 2013. homebrewtalk.com your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home their forum covers recipes brewing equipment and help from member brewers if you picked up your equipment today you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com sign up today for as little as four dollars a month and become a you're back go ahead yay we're back so as we were saying before we had that nice little commercial break um What's going on? We got Chris back on version number four of the Heart Murmur, which is uh, Chris's tribute to the Heart of Darkness, arguably the most, sorry, Sergio, most popular meat on the planet right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, by far. I don't mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's certainly one of the most well-known just because it is. And uh, so where, where'd you end up? I mean, if you're willing to disclose any of your great secrets, Chris, where did you end up going with that? Because we talked about the, we talked about the, um, the, um, dang it. My, my, my mind is throwing up cranberry and it's not cranberry. Black currant. <laughs> Thank you. Black currant. Sorry. The, the brain and, and, and everything else isn't working in sync. So the black currant's so strong. So where'd you end up going with that? Well, I, I knocked it down to about 10% of the juice. Um, so what I did was start out with just making a stock juice blend and uh, trying to figure out the percentages of each thing. And I knew that the cherry was going to be out in front. So um, I think my first attempt was like 50% cherry and 30% raspberry, 20% black currant, and it didn't work. It was way too much uh, black currant. So... Uh, I kind of shuffled that around a couple of times, made some small batches. And uh, uh, so I finally ended up now with this one. I'm down at uh, like uh, less than 10%. So 
Okay. Have you considered a replacement like uh, pomegranate to replace the black currant, or are you going by what a, a, a specific recipe? Uh... Yeah, I'm just trying to stay true to what Ken's been doing and uh, get as close as I can without having ever tasted it. Uh, which is kind of another thing. If I pull it off, I'll be a legend. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, you really will be. Better for having tasted it. Well, you got you got to hold a bottle of the statement. I take it he was stocked out on uh, on Heart of Darkness. Yeah, he was out on that, but um, I, I did get the statement. I've been been uh, you know, and one thing that I was really impressed with was. The fact that the meat that I've been making were really close to the statement, and I and it was the first time I'd ever had that. Also, okay. And okay. When I made when I made my cherry, I I did it the same way I did or that I'm doing the heart of darkness. I uh, I basically just read all the reviews I could, all the tasting notes from people, and formed an opinion in my mind of what this should be, and. Uh, so it turns out that the ones I had been making were were pretty well on the money. So I said, well, hey, if I nail that one, hopefully I'll nail this one too. Uh, you know, but I'm not under the impression that it's going to be as good. I don't have fresh fruit to work with uh, or 20 years experience doing it. But, um, you know. And not I've just got, fresh uh, fruit, but homegrown fruit. Cause, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, For yeah, those means. He's curated, making, curated fruit, basically homegrown, and, hand harvested, and, yeah, and lovingly and, and, and made entirely, and made entirely from free run juice. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And and just as a quick sidebar for anybody out there who may have been living under a rock for the last twenty years and is going heart of darkness, the statement. What are they talking about? These are meads made by Ken Schramm the author of The Complete Mead Maker. If you haven't got the book and you're making mead, then you really need to run right now to Amazon and order the book. And uh, he is also owner of Shram's Mead, and The Statement and The Heart of Darkness are two of his productions. So sidebar over, now we're back. Yep, so so the first thing I did when I opened the statement was to pour some in my hydrometer and take a reading. And, uh, <laughs> and a taste, uh, I, of course, and maybe just a little taste. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so kind of analyzing it, but yeah, I mean, it's all it's all free run juice. It's homegrown, hand harvested, and the whole nine yards. I don't have all that, and I'm not attempting to do that. My my whole purpose of doing this was the fact that I can't get it here where I live, and I know that a lot of people would like to try it or something similar to it. So let's come up with a recipe that gives Ken all the credit um, and uh, pays tribute to what he's done, but let's do it in a way that that everybody can do it, that you can do it with available juices. And, uh, you know, you just have to know from the outset that this is not going to be as good, but it's similar. To it. That was that was it, Vicky's phone, by the way. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I clicked a button I shouldn't have. Sorry. Who, who are you I was I was going to put something on Twitter and I've got like side by side Twitter uh uh Twitter and Skype feeds and I accidentally I don't know what I was thinking clicked over on the picture thing on on um Skype and almost called Doug. Hi Doug <laughs> in, in, in Amsterdam. So <laughs> it's like started ringing came up video I'm like ah 
Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, but what I was saying, uh, uh, he uh, getting you know like a hundred bucks a bottle for a three seventy five for the Heart oh, of yeah. Darkness. I can easily see. Well, in fact, I don't know how he does it because even doing it the home cheap way, like I'm doing it, I'm still going to be in. I'm ashamed to say how much I'm going to be in on this batch. <laughs> Uh, mm. It's going to be a hundred dollar a gallon mead made at home. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it. I don't know what the profit margin is on the heart, but um, it's it's funny because he's got another mead called the statement, but really, the heart of darkness is a statement. You know. Well, he has a statement reserve as well as just the statement. So I think the reserve is the one from his homegrown fruits. The statement is not actually homegrown. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. But I mean, the heart of darkness is, is uh, what I meant was is, is kind of Ken's statement on mead. I mean, that was his signature mead, if you will. And um, mm-hmm. so I don't know if it's so much about the profitability as that the heart has become iconic in the industry. And it's another reason that I've been, you know, that I'm doing this is because that when I first started making mead, the, the first person I heard about was Ken Schramm. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so that was along the lines of what I wanted to do. That was who I tried to emulate. Uh, when I, you know, right after that, I, I found out about Kurt Stock and Kurt Stock makes um uh, Similar meads. He uses lots of tart fruit. Uh, almost everything he makes is a melomel, uh, in the same style that, that Ken does. And then, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was something that suited my taste. Uh, had I been a beer person, I might have gone with someone like D Nectar and tried to emulate what they do because they're, you know, lower alcohol, carbonated, uh, but I just found someone that that was making mead in the style that that uh, appealed to me, and uh, so that's what I did. And I said, well, you know, if, if I'm going to pay tribute to them, let's let's take their most famous mead and let's find out a way we can make something similar at home. And, and I hope Ken doesn't get mad at it. <laughs> I don't think he will. Ken is an amazing person, and you know he'll. He will, uh, you know, see that it is a tribute. You know, he gets that, and that's what it's meant to be. It's. It, I'm not trying to rip off his recipe or anything. I just want to. Uh, well, if I can't get it here, and and it's not produced in quantities where a lot of people can get it, then hey, let's let's come up with the next best thing. So. Well, they do say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and he'll probably take it that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I'll send him a bottle, and maybe it'll make him feel better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for somebody to copy one of my recipes. I don't have (laughs) I've actually had a couple of people copy some of mine. Yeah? Yeah. I did, Sergio, it's probably already happening, and you just didn't know. <laughs> yeah, probably. I get a lot of yeah. makers asking a lot of technical questions. I'm just gonna say, yeah, and you're and you are and you are one of those 
you are one of those uh, pros that is willing to talk turkey with the home mead makers. There's not a lot of that going on. And that, just in case you don't know, that's really appreciated. You get a lot of positive mm-hmm. kudos about the fact that when somebody asks a question, you actually are, you know, you, like uh, Michael Fairbrother, Ken Schramm, you know, some of the pros that are out there that are, that are stepping up and saying, hey, yeah, let us show you what we're doing. And while you're not giving away, I mean, look at Golden Coast. I mean, shoot, they're dumping their entire sour archives that I've got to get up on Got Mead. Probably not going to start working uh, on next week. Of the non-carbonated, uh, of the non-carbonated means that I have had, Tyson, Sergio's uh, cucumber mead is a perfect, perfect mead served ice cold with a great tuna sandwich. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> cucumber okay. mead and tuna. Uh, You're talking to the wrong guy because Tyson's vegetarian. <laughs> Come on, guys. Don't, don't well, you know hey, this by now? Throw, Come on. You know, take take the lettuce out. Throw the you know take the tuna out. Throw the lettuce and tomato in and eat it that way. Either way. <laughs> Uh, you know, the cucumber mead on a hot day with a nice sandwich is would be tops. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, but I, he's, he's got to have some. If I go to if I go to Melovino and they don't have any to buy, how am I going to drink it? Make it. Well, come by this summer. We're re-releasing it this summer. <laughs> Are you? Oh, cool. Yeah, Let that's, that's going to be our, our summer season. Yeah. yeah, drop me a, drop me a ping when you do, dude. I'll order a case of it and uh, see if I can't swing up there to pick it and up. What I'm, kind of I'm overdue for another visit anyway. So, what kind of sandwiches do you serve in your tasting room to go along with that cucumber mead? Uh, oh, nothing. We're, we we don't serve any food actually. Wow. Yeah, the state of New Jersey does not allow us or breweries to s- sell or serve any food on the premise. Wow. Okay. Sergio, I am using your cows now on this batch. So. I would contract with a food truck to sit out in front of my tasting room. Also cannot do that. Oh, my <laughs> also God. Also cannot do that. You know yeah. what, Sergio? Think you got to move. This is, uh, this, is, this is what we're dealing with. The Restaurant Association in, in New Jersey wants to protect their investments and in how much money, the hundreds of thousands of dollars they paid for their liquor licenses in order to sell food and serve alcohol. So... If they feel threatened by breweries opening up all over the place and making alcohol, running a tap room, and also being able to serve food without having to spend the money that they did on buying their liquor licenses. That's, yeah, that's because the main a issue. winemaking license is nothing. But liquor licenses are like wineries, gold. You know. mm-hmm. Wineries in New Jersey are able to sell food for whatever reason, but whatever. We won't get into that. Yeah. But okay. You were saying something, Chris? Oh, I said you're you're actually going to have a part in this because I'm using your Tazna on this batch. Oh, nice! Yeah, I'm I'm one of those weird, very few people who can actually taste the DAP, and uh, I started getting away from DAP when I heard that Michael Fairbrother had done the same, but he was using Fermate K, and uh, I went that route for a while, and then I found out about your Tazna, and uh, yeah tried it out on a traditional and uh, it worked out great so uh, that's that's the route I'm going with this match so yeah, you will have a part in tap it and for me too, but it's uh, definitely a lot less than just using tap straight up yeah yeah uh there's not enough, you know, I can't taste the DAP in Fermate K. There's, it's below what I can taste. But if I do put DAP in, like, you know, if I put three grams in up, at, up front, I'll taste it. So, 
Which is weird because uh, no, you'd think the yeast would have eaten it all. Well, it does something. I don't know what it does. I can taste it. And I'm just one of those, I guess I'm one of the weird few people who can, but uh, well, it does something to the flavor. Yeast won't assimilate DAP after 9% ABV. So if you start adding it, it it's roughly 9%, somewhere around there. So if you're adding yeah, DAP and in the ferment, you will yeah. have <clears throat> off flavors naturally from it. Yeah, Scott Labs told me it's like around between like your 10 to 12 bricks. Uh, level that they won't, um, yeah, they won't assimilate anymore after that. Any nutrient you add after that point won't really make a difference. Right. I mean, it makes sense. The yeast basically go through all their aerobic phase. Once they get into anaerobic and are just spitting out alcohol and CO2, they're not really well, consuming yeah, that many yeast and they, or that many nutrients anymore. They need the nutrients while they're replicating, right? Right. So once they're done replicating, then they don't need the nutrients. Mm-hmm. Except for C twelve, which is a stink pot if you don't give it lots of nutrients the whole way through. Yeah, well the first time I tried the Tosna, I was uh I was a little bit hesitant because I had always added my first edition at the end of lag phase. And with Tosna you you only add the first edition twenty four hours later after pitch. So I was a little worried that you know, but then I realized well there's enough go firm there to carry them through yeah um, to that first edition so I tried it and it worked so I said well I'm not going to question it anymore because you know <laughs> why question something that's working you know it's, it's just working it's working are you still going with the full amount of nutrient um, up through like 350 400 parts per million Yan, or have you adjusted? Yeah, yeah, I oh, I adjusted. I'm basically uh, on traditional needs. Um, I've adjusted about uh, uh, forty parts per million less on traditional needs after taking some Yan measurements on different traditional need musts that we made here. Okay. Um, only because that's what I kind of found: like thirty to forty parts per million of nitrogen in most need musts of just traditional needs. Uh, so I subtracted that from the total that we're adding, but um, but little by little, there is a thread going on on the Got Mead forums right now, which Vicky heads up. They've already suggested that it become a sticky. Uh, okay. But um, I'll go track it down and stick it. Yeah, they. You know, I, I I kind of explained that little by little. I think I've been trying to experiment with the whole Tazna uh, regimen because. In my opinion, I mean, Scott Labs says that it's the equivalent of 50 parts per million uh, that the Fermato provides. But I kind of have a feeling, uh, and that's effectiveness, and that's the key word that's kind of having, like, a lot of conversation around uh, on that thread. The effectiveness of, uh, of how much nitrogen it actually uh, offers. There's a big difference between how much nitrogen it actually provides on paper and the effectiveness of how much nitrogen it actually provides. But uh, little by little, I've kind of I've kind of been noticing that you know what I think we would be just fine if we added even a little less. So I'm actually thinking the effectiveness uh, term that that I'm using for that and that Scott Labs was using uh, for Fermato is probably a lot more than just the um, the five times more than what it is on paper. Hmm, uh, right, so little so, by little, I'm going to be experimenting with a little less, a little less here and there. On a commercial scale, it's a little harder to do because I don't want to screw up a batch. 
and have something stall out or have any off flavors or aromas. But little by little, I've been kind of like playing around with it and seeing and taking notes. And I'm going to end up comparing everything that uh, once I have enough data to kind of look back and forth on. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard it's upwards of like three to four times that amount in the effectiveness of the yen. Um, like up to yeah, like 160 parts only five times what you're getting yeah. five you times can, 50 you can, look at it. Parts per million. you can compare it sort of to a simple carb and a complex carb exactly uh, yeah if you take if you eat a stickers bar you're going to feel it you're going to feel the energy kick you know you got it but it's going to run out fairly quickly if you eat a bowl of brown rice uh, you don't feel it hit you as hard, but it'll sustain you longer. So, I mean, the effect, you know, the effectiveness of that is, uh, I, I think it's sort of the same thing. We've got uh, Michael Fairbrother is listening in now, and he says uh, regarding um, the fermentation stuff we were talking about, it's an increase Y A N C by 50 milligrams. Uh, yeah. Mike, Michael, yeah. What per is gram that? per liter. Per gram per liter, thank you. Every two 50, bricks. 50 parts yeah. per million per gram per liter. Yeah. yeah. On paper, it only provides, they say it only provides 10 parts per million, but the effectiveness is as if you were adding 50 parts per million. Hmm. Yeah. But I do feel like, I do feel like it it actually has an effectiveness of a higher number than that, and that's that's kind of what, it, what I've been playing around with. Yeah, so, Serge, so... Part of, if you listen to our episode yesterday, we talked a lot about the advanced nutrient calculator we have on Meadmaker. And one of the yeah. biggest things that came up is the Fermate O effectiveness. And trying to explain that is very difficult because what we have in the calculator yeah. <laughs> is that Fermate O is 40 parts per million per milligram per liter. But no, you can have a Fermate O effectiveness of up 50. to. Well, right. So I, I was going off of work from Travis Blunt Elliott, who's on yeah. the Reddit forums. And. He was quoting up to like four times that if you're using Fermate O, it becomes significantly effective. So we're talking 160 parts per million yen, significantly more than what we're saying, just 50 parts per million yen. Um, and yeah. it becomes important when we're talking about leftover nutrients that other bacteria can use. Mm -hmm. we, we don't want to yeah. oh, promote yeah. Yeah. lactobacillus or pediococcus or... Um, any other bacteria or any yeast that aren't the yeast we want to ferment. So having leftover nutrients, the, if we can find the balance where we have the right amount of nutrient just for the yeast, we minimize the ability to spoil over the long run when we're sto storing for a year or two yeah. years. Now, see, the, now the question comes into play, too, now when you're talking about mead. If you're talking only traditional meads, now I think I think that's that's an end point that we could reach. But when you're talking about fruit meads, you know, any <laughs> kind of fruit additions that you're fermenting, that throws a whole other curveball into the picture because you're getting a lot of a lot of nitrogen from the fruits that right. I mean there there's it's always gonna vary, even if you use the same fruits all the time. Mm -hmm. You never it's know. It's the exactly reason you bought a yen you're measurement get. tool. Exactly. Yeah. But your average home brewer is not going to spend the, you know, four to five hundred dollars for one of those for one of those meters. You know what I mean? So right. but um, as far as I've been taking yen measurements for different mead musts of different honeys. And that's kind of what I've been trying to use to see how much less we can use. So all those all those cosmic calculations are basically based upon assuming zero nitrogen from the honey. 
which is not technically the case. And that's why I kind of like want to refine it uh, a little bit. So I've been taking a bunch of nitrogen readings and trying to determine, okay, what is going to be the average for like a traditional mead with, uh, with different honeys? I might actually eventually just post up, okay, this is what I got from, you know, this starting bricks of using wildflower honey from Dutch Gold. And this is what I got from using their orange blossom um, honey. This is what I got with their clover, so on and so forth. So that way there's at least some kind of a benchmark, even though not all honey is going to be the same, take the same reading, but overall the scope might be within an agreeable average uh, to be able to base uh, everything off of. So right off the bat, I mean, without having any updates made on the on the Mead Made Right site right now uh, or anywhere else that Cosmos posted on, but as of right now, I you can definitely assume for a traditional mead that you can subtract at least 30 to 40 parts per million of the nitrogen that is required based on the calculations for Tazma. Uh, that's what I've kind of like found that's like a safe number to, to, to work off of. Hmm. So you could add a little so, bit less, but I actually... I still think you could add even less than that, though, because I'm telling you, I think it definitely is more effective than just the 50 parts per million uh, the Scott Lab says it, it provides. Okay. So, Sergio, this, this batch that I'm doing is made entirely with fruit juice and honey. So, uh, and, and I'm starting out with a ridiculously high, uh, it's like 36 point something bricks. Um, I calculated it at 550 parts per million based on the chart yeah. you have. So, uh, which you could easily cut it in half. You could easily yeah, cut it fruit in half. That much fruit. Yeah. Yeah. I cut that in half, which comes out to, uh, 33 grams total of Fermate O. Yeah. For a six gallon yeah, bag. I've, so, uh, I've added a disclaimer on the Mead Made Right site that this is particularly just for the calculations are based off of basically working off of traditional meats. Yeah, once you start fermenting fruit along with the honey, then yeah, you're going to get a lot more nitrogen. Uh, yeah, from everything fruit. changes. Would you go lower than that? I'm sorry. Would you go? Would you go lower than that? Thirty-three grams in a six-gallon. For for mellow mouths, no matter what, because uh, well, I I only just started taking all these. Um, Yan readings, but for every mellow mel is also going to be completely different depending on the fruit or a combination of fruits and proportions of how much fruit uh, goes into to each batch. It's so hard to really pinpoint how much, uh, you know, to get an average number uh, that a certain fruit product, whether it's fresh fruit, frozen fruit, uh, fruit juice, fruit juice concentrate, it's, it's going to be almost impossible to kind of determine how much nutrient, mm -hmm. uh, how much nitrogen rather. Uh, you're really adding in other than just adding it for that particular recipe and taking an actual yan reading and knowing that's how much um, nitrogen you added with that those fruit additions for just that particular recipe. That's the mm -hmm. only thing you can really discern for 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 the truth. But as mm -hmm. far as melamols go, you can easily uh, do the Tazma calculations and actually cut it in half, add half of the uh, the, the calculated amount. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I did. So it, that gave me 33 grams. So uh, that's what I'm going to be going with here. Yeah, that that was always the rule of thumb that I've always used. Traditionals, I go that 100% based on those calculations. Any melomel, 
and and any mellow mold that I make, I, I normally always ferment the fruit along with the honey. Uh, for the mellow mold, my rule of thumb was I always just cut it in half, even though I'm sure you yes. could probably do much less than that. But that was always my rule of thumb, and I'm fermenting 14% in like nine to 10 days. Hey, so, Sergio. Yeah, if you broke, don't fix it, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Fair, Fair Brother uh, said on Facebook, uh, I put up a post that we were talking about him and, and, and Ken and other people. And uh, he says, uh, uh, the Hannah is quoting them $700 for a meter. And then uh, also asks, has anyone done uh, Yan C level measurements for different fruits? Which is an interesting question. Yeah, I've tried to I've tried to find some kind of numbers online as to an average amount of nitrogen, you know, that certain fruits provide. But but again, then you're also talking about again, are you using fresh fruits? Are you using fruit juices? Are you using fruit juice concentrate? It's 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 going to end up being all over the board. I still haven't taken um, I haven't taken enough readings. Well, put it this way. I've taken readings of my melomel batches um, per recipe. So I could tell you how much of, you know, how many kind of juices go into this one recipe provides as far as nitrogen compared to if it was just honey and water. But um, again, it's always going to vary from recipe to recipe. But uh, it's going to be really hard to determine that because even on a commercial scale, you're getting fruit juice concentrates or fruit juices from you know, different suppliers here and there. You know, I, I buy black currant concentrate from one from one supplier. I buy, you know, different concentrates from another and so on and so forth. So, and it's always going to depend, even when you're talking about fresh fruit. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that I've been wanting to do with the, the Got Mead calculator. And I've talked to Tyson and Alan uh, periodically about this. And, and I talked to Pete about this the other day. I want to try to put together a suite of calculators that can be on the websites but also put into an app. And one of the things that I've been looking at is how do you figure out the, you know, the sugar content, the, you know, the various aspects of fruit that need to be considered when you're making a mead. And then like you're saying, it can be different. Is it whole fruit? Is it juice? Is it puree? Yeah. And, and then, you know, it's also, and, and it's not just that. Okay. If you're like taking say for um, peaches, just saying, you know, there's like 80 gazillion varieties of peaches exactly, and yeah. varying levels of sugar. And if you take, you know, peach, you know, ABC variety peach and you grow it in Georgia, it's going to have one level of sugar. You take the same exact variety of peach and you grow it in Michigan, different yeah. sugar levels, you know. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a losing proposition because there's no way to pin it down and say this kind of fruit has that amount work. of sugar. Yeah, yeah, it's you a, life, a lifetime's work, and and then it's I mean, sugar is one thing, but then the nitrogen that the nitrogen yeah. that each individual fruit and um, and variation of each fruit is is always going to be different as well. I mean, that's 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 the tough thing. I think. Yeah. So when it all comes down to it, if you really really want to understand how much nitrogen you have to start with to determine exactly how much nutrients to add, the only correct answer as of right now is. Either buy a meter. either buy a meter to measure uh, yeah. the formal, and those are seven hundred dollars according to Fair Brothers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. I paid for it. I know it's yeah, it's it's a lot of money. But you know what? Information, you know, information is the most valuable asset in this world. And well, yeah, it, and it was, pro level, it was definitely you know. worth the money. 
Us civilian yeah, oh, types, yeah, exactly. you know, are going to drop that kind of cash. Oh, and Fairbrother oh, also points out that different yeasts also work better with lower Yancy levels as well. So he's, oh, yeah. he's popping up comments on Facebook. So <laughs> yeah, so this conversation, this conversation gets really interesting when you talk about that. I was just having a conversation on the Got Meat on the Got Meat forums uh, last week too. That's another thing that I'm kind of trying to work with. And I've even spoken to Scott Labs and they kind of don't really have anything to give me as far as that goes too, because, you know, I try to basically bring it up in conversation uh, to Scott Labs about, all right, so if if by, by the textbook, if we need 350 parts per million of nitrogen for this, uh, for a recipe that starts at, you know, 27 bricks, what if we're using a low nitrogen required beast? Can, is there a number that you could give me that I can subtract off of that total based upon if that yeast strain requires a low, medium, or high nitrogen uh, requirement? And they don't have those kind of numbers, that kind of data to kind of give out. You know, but one of them, mm-hmm. you know, the, the best answer I got was, well, subtract 100 and see how that works. <laughs> well, and, and, and here's another, this is another thing. And that's okay, what's going to um, end up happening, though. though you know, I, I don't know if you're watching your Facebook, uh, your Facebook notes, Sergio, but Zeb Johnston just popped up and asked, would you be interested in having some regression analysis done on your data points? That would give a calculated model showing how much different fruit and honeys con- uh, contribute uh, yen to a must. And it would definitely help speed up the quote unquote lifetime of work. He says, I have the programs and knowledge to run a proper data analysis. Crap. I would say, yeah, on that one. You uh, know what? I mean? Wait, I'm, hold on. I got lost with that. As okay. Far as doing what? Okay. He's, he's, he's apparently a data, so, a data, a data analyst, but he's, yeah, saying, he, he's talking data scientist stuff. So I just went through a class last week for work. Cause I do the same. Oh, thing. okay, cool. <laughs> then you pick, um, pick it up and go. We got somebody on air. Get, get Zeb to call in. So essentially they're talking okay. about being able to actually analyze a large data set of every known data point we have concerning the yan measurement and the amount of fruit used and then from that you can back calculate how much yan there is and if we can build it on a hundred different measurements or a hundred different recipes across the board so if if michael fairbrother gets his yank uh meter and you have yours and then uh, frank goldbeck throws his in the loop and then maybe ken tram throws in and you can start building this gigantic database you can start to build this database of all of the information we have and we can start building accurate calculators based on the information that's put in today. Yeah, but again, again it's always going to vary. I mean, uh, it does vary very year to yeah. year, but you can start looking at the standard deviation and the variance of that measurement from year to year. Um, so th- there are ways to calculate in how much the variance shows up. Yeah. You would hope that it is decreasing as you increase your population set. Um, so we're going back to statistics and like the number that you would need to represent a normal population or a Raelian or all sorts of different statistical measures and what the distribution looks like over time. Yeah. Um, well, here's, well, here's also a little, a little, uh, something that might help, uh, the home meat makers. If you, if you have a particular recipe that you do often and you want to figure out how much yen you're starting with, send me a vial or something of that month along with some, a good bottle of something that you made at home. That'll pay, that'll help pay for the, uh, the materials that I'm actually using during calibration to the actual testing. Uh, <laughs> Free me. Yeah. I will work for yeah. me. I love this. Even the pros and, will work uh, for me. 
Yeah, send me a send me a twelve ounce bottle or something, and and I'll take the I'll take the reading for you. I'll run the test at uh, at Melalino, and I'll email you the the results. That way, I mean, I only uh, make so much mead. Every meadery only makes so much mead, and uh, again, it's also it's also tough because unless you're really also only making. Um, I guess we could test the ingredient individually. Obviously, we could do that, but um, uh, you know, especially especially on the commercial mead making scene, if you're not using fresh fruits, you're using fruit juice. If you're not using juice, you're using concentrates. Or pureed. Every concentrate supply. I will. I will absolutely take you up on that offer. I will absolutely take you up on that. Mm We've so, got, yeah, because uh, that, that is uh, that is the yeah, uh, turnaround time right, to gonna getting, inter- getting a real number on something on a particular recipe. But the tenth anniversary of Got Mead Live, we might have right. some real good data to, to actually put out. <laughs> yeah, here. well, we're going to hear more about that because uh, JD just added Michael Fairbrother and Zeb Johnston to the conversation, so now it's going to get really oh, nice. interesting. <laughs> there you Thanks, go, Joe. Uh, hey, everybody. <laughs> Zeb, hey, 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 hang on, guys. Zeb, you need, I think it might be coming from you. If you've got the show playing in the background, you need to turn it down. We're getting a little bit of feedback. Okay. All right, go ahead, guys. See, now it's a party. Now we're talking. Now, now we're talking. Uh, now we're talking. Uh, we're talking shop over mead, and that's what this is supposed to be about. Yeah, this is what we do at the competitions. For those of you out there who may not have been to the Mazer Cup, this is what happens at the parties. <laughs> I don't know about the rest. I don't know about the rest of you, but I've got my notebook and pen right here. So, well, don't forget where we record. Right, no, okay. so, so. Before, before I forget, I do want to get a professional mead maker roundtable going on at the Mazer Cup. Oh, and yeah, I, I definitely want. I want a few key, key people at that round table over drinking over some meat. We have microphones there, Sergio. So we'll see what we can do. Yeah, we're no, gonna, I think we can dually host it, it and get the, it on uh, Gami. It's no big deal. Yeah, let's put it on the uh, the association's website too for the for the members to listen into. Yeah, yeah I, I was thinking great. about at the AMMA meeting actually recording so that you guys can host it somewhere. Um, so those who don't dial into the AMMA meeting can also get audio later. Yeah, I may uh, I may uh, hit you guys up for copies of that too that we could post on the syndication so that we yeah. can give to JD to do his thing with. We can make that work. We'll have at least two microphones and a mixer, so we'll see what happens. Nice. That'll that'll make it easier for me because JD's been after me to get more equipment, and I'm going. Yeah, I've already got all this stuff. I'm gonna take you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm road tripping all the way out there, so assuming there's no giant blizzard between the East Coast and Colorado, we'll be okay. Oh, to- you're totally you're road tripping. Yeah, we may have to talk about that wow. offline because I'm currently <laughs> I'm currently grounded. I'm not allowed to fly because of the lung things that I've got going on. So if that's still the case, then then I would be willing. Well, I'm to, taking the uh, family, so I don't have space oh, in the okay. car unless we. No can worries. Out. Never mind. I didn't realize the whole fam family. <laughs> yeah, you want to stop for an hour for baby my, uh, in the back? It'll be fun. I was about yeah. to cancel my uh, my car rental real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right it's like no we'll just all go with it <laughs> let's yes, all go together i can't accommodate that i don't have a bus you know yeah well then what i'm what, what we're talking about possibly doing is driving out if it comes down to that because i'll be deemed if i'm going to miss a major cut but you know agree anyway back, back yeah back to the subject in hand uh, yeah back to fruits and nitrogen and yeah uh-huh the important stuff so yeah oh tyson thank you for finally joining the got mean page it took you long enough uh yeah i just i saw it on the side and i was like oh, i'll just click that 
Mm-hmm. You should have. You should have quit it a long time ago, but I'm just, you know. You should have asked me. Yeah, I should have. Ago. Yeah, well, I put it out there that I had a page. Y'all weren't listening. Anyway, back That's to Yan and Yan C and meters and expensive things and data regression. Let's talk about that. So, so one of the things that uh, meat makers can understand is that this is Michael Fairbrother from Moonlight Meadery, is that, you know, some yeast nutrient uh, management is better than none, quite a bit so. So you can get, you know, dial it in if you get the right meters and such. But, you know, using trial and error, you can get a lot closer than you've ever been before. I mean, I still yet to acquire a meter. Um, It's on my wish list, but, you know, Santa didn't get me one this year, so it's still on the wish list. (laughs) And, you know, you know, you can, you know, we're not dialing into, you know, nine to 10 days like Sergio is, but, you know, we're still at the, you know, about a three months turnaround time from start to finish. And, you know, for us commercially, that's still viable. And, you know, I'm still having uh, very uh, excited dreams about you know, getting it down to nine to 10 days, but that's <laughs> not happening for us yet. For $700, you could fill up your tank six, four times a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's sometimes you're trying to make sure you pay your employees. I can oh, only pay yeah, them $5 for a tank of gas, so I could fill up my tank a whole lot more than, than you know, that. So, just saying. <laughs> well, I just want to take the opportunity to thank both of you because, um, you know, I, I've said before, I started making good mead once I had temperature control. I made better mead when I heard about Michael getting away from the DAP and I started doing that. And then I really dialed it in when I got completely away from the DAP and just started using the Fermato. So I owe owe both of you a lot for that. So thanks for the information, if nothing else. When you send your sample in, you can send me three bottles then. (laughs) (laughs) The price just went up. Oh, dear. And don't forget, I'm going to have to end at the end of April. Has meter will no has meter will measure will work for mead. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm gonna have to rename this mead the the coast to coast mead because I got Ken's inspiration up in Michigan, Michael up in the Northeast, and uh, Sergio over on the East Coast, and then I've got get ready for it JD's wildflower honey from California. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait! You got to <laughs> there has to be heavenly chorus with that meat or with that honey. That's just it has to. So yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm going to even be able to take any credit at all for it. Maybe I can oh, be the conductor. Yeah, I'll be the conductor. D- Doug is over in the Netherlands, going, "How can I get three bottles from the Netherlands?" <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know, if you got a meter, you got a meter of some sort. If you got a useful meter of any kind, you can get three bottles. <laughs> there you go, Sergio. You're worldwide, man. <laughs> there you go. You can still take credit for the mead. You made it, just like everybody takes credit for that Campbell's green bean casserole every Thanksgiving. That's just not right. That's just not right, yeah. But it still shows up on the Thanksgiving table at our house every year. (laughs) With the cornflakes on top? Yeah. (laughs) No, I use those uh, onion crunchy things. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Fried onions. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Fried onions, yeah. 
Yeah. Michael Fairbrother, uh, yes. I had a bottle of your fling uh, last week, and it was amazing. It reminded me of my grandmother's fruit bar pie. Yeah, that happens to be one of Vicky's favorites, too. Oh, yeah, it's totally one of Vicky's favorites. Yeah, Vicky served that at her daughter's wedding uh, wedding party the night before the wedding because my son-in-law's very favorite flavor is strawberry rhubarb. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, you know, for, for me, when I think about mead making and, you know, how to how to go about it, I mean, Sergio's a rock star. He's, he's certainly doing a lot to help the, the community, putting effort into it, you know, helping share the knowledge. And, you know, as I tell people all the time, you know, if you want to get my knowledge, join the American Meat Maker Association. I'll share everything I know. And it's, it's because, you know, we're trying to build a community. We're trying to, you know, bring that game to the next level. And, you know, it's, and, you know, look, there's two board members on the, on this call already, Vicky and, and Sergio. And, you know, we're all yeah. trying to put our energy and efforts behind the greater good of this. And this is why we're doing it. Yeah. And it, uh, it, it, it goes to show too. I mean, there's, there's plenty of, uh, the commercial guys out there that are, are more than willing to share the information. And it's kind of like all been starting to funnel through the association's website. And I think there's a lot of people going on there, either meteries and planning, home meat makers, uh, even existing like, you know, new startup meters that are going on there and getting a wealth of information, uh, especially for the, amount of, for the small amount of money that it costs to become a member. And it's like, there, I would have paid thousands of dollars for like, you know, if there's such things like a mead consultant, uh, when I was starting up to, to make sure that I started on my meadery right, you know, in the best way possible, most efficient, efficient uh, way possible. Um, the, the, the value of information on there is, is ridiculous. Yeah, we've hosted, you know, potential or startup meadery makers to intern at our meadery, you know, two or three times now. And we're not, we haven't thus far put a charge on it to, uh, charge them to learn what we're doing, but we've had some folks from, you know, Europe come in, fly in to visit and work with us. We've had, you know, other meadery makers here in the United States. I've gotten now twice at the UC Davis event. You know, <laughs> I, I see this as a long-term endeavor and the more great meat makers there are in this country or world, the better that those of us that can make great mead will be. You know, so it's not a question of then I'm worried about making success for just my own company. You know, I mean, it helps to have other mead makers make better products. Yeah, it does. And it, I've, I've said it, if I've said it once, I've said it 50 times. A million times. A million times. A rising tide floats all boats. If we all pull together, we can get there. I, I had a conversation earlier today with um, Dara Nagel, who's owner of Falcon Mead in New Mexico. And um, Dara was saying that one of the things he's running into is how many people just don't know what meat is. And that's part of, you know, and, and this is Vicki in my AMMA on the board hat um, that the AMMA is trying to do is to get that out there. So people don't go meat, you know, they know what, <laughs> they know what you're talking about when you say meat. they go, Oh yeah, that's that, that's that thing, you know? So, Exactly. You know, yeah. Trying to get it out there and, you know, get it so that when, you know, you say mead, it's like when you say cider or beer, people get it. Yeah. It's, yeah. And here, here's another example 
it's in New Jersey, there's still no viable option to actually open a meadery. You know, I'm essentially operating off of a hall pass issued by the director of the alcohol and beverage control. And, um, and I still, I, and, and I helped draft the bill that's currently going through legislation to create an official meadery license. Some customers have asked me, why would you do that? You're basically essentially guaranteed, um, you know, no competition in the state of New Jersey. And I said, well, that's not going to help mead overall. No. You know, the more meters no. that do open up, I mean, the, the better it is for the entire industry. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's why the American Beer Association is trying to push forward legislation that, you know, unlike the Cider Bill Act that helped the cider companies, you know, and some of us make cider like myself, you know, I still want to see a, you know, Mead Cider Act or a Mead Act that, you know, benefits everybody. Yeah. Well, it's not like by having somebody open a meadery next to you, you're going to be losing that much business because there is so much variety in the within what we all call mead. There's so much variety yeah, it, that you know infinite. you can do so much without duplicating. I mean, hearing and all that information that you give out, the the information that you give out is not. Uh, it's not any threat to anybody's business either because. You know, even me as a home mead maker, I'm, I'm going to buy your products. Uh, if I, I could have all your recipes in a book and make them consistently at home, I'm still going to be buying your products because I'm going to, you know, I'm, I buy mead. Yeah. So, uh, JD, we're going to be always innovating, right? So the recipes I may put in a book doesn't mean that's where I stop. Right? I, mm-hmm. I create recipes almost every day, it seems like, where I'm trying to think about, yeah. you know, what am I trying to make? You know, sometimes yeah. it's by accident, like Ember, which is a blackberry uh, chipotle mead. I meant to put the chipotles in the raspberry mead and put them in the wrong tank. So we got a new recipe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm working, on a, I'm working on one right now because I'm going to have a lot of black currants juice left over and uh, I'm thinking about black currants with some peppers and I was going to call it in the heat of the night Oh, and yeah, uh, yeah and it's going to be good uh, because I can already taste it you want yeah, to there, there's just so much though. so currants tend to be very tart so you're going to want mm-hmm. some sweetness to hold up that tartness to balance out with the tart and the pepper but yeah that's mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You're going to want that sweetness too to balance the heat anyway. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be, uh, you know, but you can, you can finish something like that so really sweet, but yet it doesn't come across as being sweet because of there's so much tartness. Um, uh, so I've been trying to think of how to, to, to dialogue with people about that because, you know, we're working on a book, but, you know, there's like three variables that you can think of when making mead. So you have, you know, your tartness level from any additions, whether it's the fruit, you have the sweetness level um, from the honey and whatnot. And if you're making it spiced, you have the spicing level. And all three of those are independent controls that really can change your your enjoyment or profile of the mead that you're ending up with. So whether you want you to still have, dry and still have acidity, yeah, and you still have acidity and tannin as well. True. So make that four or five around with yeah. Yeah. So it's you know it's Hey it's, hey guys, you know, I'm gonna 
I'm going to jump in here and just uh, tell you to hold that thought because we got a round of commercials that needs to roll. So give us like a minute and we'll be back in just a bit. Located in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, Fallen Timber Meadery is named after this region of Alberta, Canada. The area is a hidden treasure characterized by the merger of ranch lands and untracked forests and home to stunning mountain views and Canadian wildlife. It is here where the Ryan family produces pure water-white clover honey and mead as pristine as the namesake Fallen Timber Creek. Inspired by the sublime landscape and the Honey It Awards, the Fallen Timber Meadery continues to pursue excellence in all of their meads. From classic traditional meads to innovative session meads and braggots, Fallen Timber Meadery is emerging from the wild with great Canadian mead. Visit us online at www.fallentimbermeadery.ca. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. If you're a mead maker, a book you need to have on the shelf is Mad About Mead by Pamela Spence. Look for it, grab it, if you can. It's been out of print for a while. But if you can find it, add it to your library. And while you're at it, check out PamSpence.com. Pam is an active storyteller, author, community minister, and is the editor for local newspapers in Columbus, Ohio. You can find her most recent book, Glad Rags, Red Panties, Cowgirl Boots, and A Sweet Dress to Die For at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Please visit PamSpence.com for more. Hey, this is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead. And I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery meads now. Visit them at their online store at moonlightmeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery meads. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road, near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. You're live. And we're back with a whole gang of people. We've got Tyson and Ellen from the Mead Makers. We've got Michael Fairbrother, uh, owner of Moonlight Meadery up in the North Country. We have Sergio Mutella, the owner of the only meadery in New Jersey. We have, golly, who else did we just get joined in? Um, Zeb, Chris. We got Zeb, uh, Zeb Johnston. And Zeb, what's your meadery? I'm like drawing a blank. Lion's Head, right? Yeah, 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 lions. Huh? Oh, 
I saw some of your shirt. Your line said, "Yeah, I just had you on the show like three. Yeah, I just had you on the show like three weeks ago. I'm sorry, it's late and I'm tired. And yeah, so, yeah, because I'm a dweeb. There we go. Um, <laughs> so, so we've got like you know all kinds of fun stuff, and we're talking about fermentation techniques. We're talking about nitrogen assimilation. We're talking about aging. Um, just all kinds of fun stuff going on. So, uh, back to the fun, y'all." Go for it. Oh, this is Michael from Moonlight Meadery. Uh, one of the things um, I was just talking about before the break was um, dialing in flavors and perspectives. And you've got, I'd say, maybe five different dials or four or five, whatever the number may be, to, to get the perfect flavor. And one of the needs I was judging this past weekend by Scott Char at the Dormus Cup was a pineapple chipotle mead. And, you know, when I was judging it, you know, I gave it a 50. And I was like, there's nothing better that you could do to this meat to make it even completely better. And when I saw it get to the best of show table, you know, I knew I'd judge it. And I didn't want to have to try to persuade or argue the table. I wanted to let the meat showcase itself. And when we got down to the top four left in the table, or maybe top five, there was, you know, we wanted to do a polling of what was number one among the, the group. And this pineapple chipotle made gaming first among everybody that voted. So when you can dial in your, your spice level, your sweetness level, and your acidity level, you got it. And it doesn't need somebody to say, oh, okay, that's great. It's just, it's great among itself. And, and that's the key piece and, and Scott's a big proponent of, you know, staggered nutrients and making sure that, you know, he's got balance of flavors and perspective. And that's the key piece to take away from all this stuff is learn how to take out and smell your needs to understand what makes something great. And, you know, you don't need my opinion on it. And, you know, you, you need to be able to think for yourself that you make great need and you will make great need. And if it doesn't win, Hold on. Keep trying. Yeah, and you don't need well, a meter. A, well, a homemade meat. No meter. No meter is going to help you with that either. No meter is going to taste and judge that that need that you made for you either. You got to be able to taste and and balance all those different parts. And, and even as you were saying before, so even as you were saying before, doing something is better than doing nothing. And yeah. there are meat makers that are hitting this mark. Time and time again, I mean, John from, um, you know, you know, and Scott and several others across the country, they, they enter meat competitions time and time again, and their names are always up to the top of the list. You know, I can't say enough that, you know, enter meat for your diet and, and give your best meat a shot. There were the Mazer Cup or the Thomas Cup. You know, these are all really well-run competitions. Mm-hmm. You know, there's another homebrew, uh, another homebrew competition that has a lot of uh, certified meat judges in New York. Uh, homebrew Alley. They've uh, they got some top top notch meat makers and meat judges in that competition as well. Um, that's that's another one that I mean, it's not a meat only competition, but the judges and the feedback that you get from that competition for meats, uh, it's definitely worthwhile entering that as well. Yeah, it was three years ago today that I judged my first Hungry Rally, and I, I second what Sergio was saying. That it's a great competition, great folks. <laughs> was that that pineapple that you judged, was that a homebrew or was that a commercial? Uh, homebrewed. 
homebrewed. And we can, yeah, we, you, you can really make some incredible needs when you're working with, uh, you know, peppers and spice and, you know, fruit. You, you just have so much opportunities to really kind of create something unique. And, um, you know, that the flavor combination of honey and spices just really work in competitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and on the home mead making scene, take advantage of it because all I got to say on a five gallon batch stale, I mean, sky's the limit. You get to, <laughs> and Mike, you know, Michael could probably attest to this as well. Once you get to like a larger scale, you're like, holy shit, how am I going to dice up that much pineapple? How am I going to do this at that kind of scale, too? It becomes a lot more Yeah, because I'm, I'm, juicing, I'm juicing 40 pounds of raspberries tonight, so even that is... I'm Arts website on the food processor that I, that I ran 150 pounds of ginger through. Um... <laughs> Because yeah, on a homebrew scale, that that would have been about you know uh, a little under five pounds of ginger, you know. And it's, take advantage of the homebrew side because I mean the sky is really the limit. Nothing's gonna it should be able to hold you back from uh, from what you put together. Yeah, and at a commercial scale for us, we're using about four thousand pounds of blueberries that we freeze uh, for our wild yeah. meat with just four pounds of blueberries per gallon. Are you yeah, putting well, those in gonna... bags or are you just dumping them all into the tank? You're dumping them into the tank. Oh, and uh, we have all oh, you have main weight doors on your tank stuff? No. No, it's it's in the the are you getting all those blueberries out? <laughs> we got a um, so, uh, uh, it's like a uh, doorway, so we muck them out of the bottom. Oh, okay. So I, I've got a, a technical question for for you guys, uh, and you both can answer. Uh, when you you know we all know as home brewers at least uh, that you it's hard to predict when a yeast is going to stop. Uh, sometimes they'll go another ten points. Sometimes they stop short a little bit. But I know Michael for sure has a. I think I've heard you say you had a sterile filter. Is that correct? Yeah, we do. Okay, well that solves that problem for you. But without a sterile filter, uh, if you were looking at a commercial scale um, and and you got to label your bottles and you want to consistently do twelve percent or you want to consistently do fourteen percent. And you know that you got to, you need a certain level of sweetness that you got to stop at. Uh, is is sterile filtration the only commercial answer to that, or is there some some other way of going about that? So we um, you could use uh, sulfites and sorbates to stop this uh, fermentation. Uh, the other option you have, which um, is a little more risky, which is you know, knowing that your yeast can only go so high and making a sweet enough need that the yeast will stop fermenting. Uh, that is no guarantee. And I can tell you because yeah. I've uncorked in many a bottle, yeah. um, that it will stop fermentation 100%. The only way you can really manage your fermentation to completeness, um, is to, uh, sulfite and sorbate or to sterile filter. 
and still filtered filtration is no guarantee either as I can tell you that we've still had some challenges with uh, some effervescence uh, <laughs> finishing into the finished product and I can show people a magic trick when I uncork a bottle without <laughs> you know, corkscrew <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I've, and, I've, and I've had quite a few of those I've had quite a few of those as well I mean it's yeah and it's tough and the customer relations side to it is even worse um, but uh, the the whole thing, yeah. I mean, we like I cold crash when I reach my my final gravity, and then we'll then we'll we'll run it through plate and frame down to point four five, and now we've also taken uh, taken some lessons from uh, a few people in the industry, both wine and uh, and mead uh, industry, and we're running everything through like two cartridge filtrations after that. I mean, a plate and frame filter, you're going to get about 60, 70% effectiveness. You know, even if you're, you know, filtering at 0.45 microns, it uh, would just consider stale filtration. It's only about up to 70% effective. Um, then, then we're running it through uh, two cartridge filtrations right before it goes into the bottle, uh, into the bottle through a bottling line. And those cartridge filters are, the first one is rated at 95% or higher. The second one is rated at 99.999%. I mean, and those filter cartridges aren't cheap. And, yeah. and no, no. Now yeah, that brings a $300 a piece. Yeah. <laughs> that stopped yeah, that's everybody for a second there. <laughs> it got real quick. So that brings up, like, that brings <laughs> up two more questions. <laughs> Uh, number one, uh, what are the, the regulations on your alcohol? It's like, you know, uh, how much leeway do you have? Can you label it as 14% if it's 14.2 or 13.9? Yeah. Uh, and you've got a swing. Yeah. And, and secondly, uh, mentioning the sorbet, uh, how do you feel that the sorbet affects flavor and aging? Yeah, I, I personally I personally don't add any sorbates only because of the fear of if it, if it just if it's just going bad. I don't I've tasted a few commercial meats on the market that unfortunately didn't smell and taste like rotten geraniums and mm -hmm. uh, that just scared the crap out of me where I decided I'm never gonna use sorbates on a commercial level. But um, and I've heard the same thing on a homebrew level as well, which is the oh, reason yeah. I asked the question. Uh, how much of a concern is that on a homebrew well, level? Can, I wouldn't to, care too much about it, but on a commercial scale, I, I don't, I don't, I don't bother with it. Yeah, we we said Yeah, I've made meat as a home meat maker that I set aside for two or three years before bottling. And even the, the action of racking it and bottling it has caused fermentation to kick off again. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, there's, a, there's a lot to fermentation kinetics, whether it's the pH of the must and, you know, pH, honey can buffer, so pH will change over time. So, you know, light change will cause that re-fermentation to take place. You know, we've, we're working hard not to sulfite or sorbate anything we make at this point. But, you know, to say we've had challenges is an understatement. I mean, I've had to buy product back and, you know, explain to customers that, you know, something fermented is not bad per se. It's just a little more than we anticipated. You know, so it's a, um, you know, a complicated realm. I mean, when you're spending the money to buy your own product back to degas it and put it back into a bottle, 
you know, that's increasing yeah. your costs pretty exponentially to, to make mm-hmm. that product. So for, for me or someone else as a, as a home brewer, uh, looking to enter a competition, uh, do you think that using sulfites and sorbates is going to negatively affect it in some way in the judging as far as flavor? You, you, you have to measure your pH. So you have to have a really good pH meter so that you can put the right amount in. What Sergio was talking about is somebody that took a random guess. So when you're getting that geranium flavor, you're probably way over the threshold of what you needed to achieve. So I think federally it's like 25 parts per million over your over the limit. So it's 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 pretty low limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's the sorbate as well as my recollection. Yeah, sorbates will affect the flavor. Uh, too much sulfites will also affect the flavor. Anything I forgot what the threshold is on sulfites again. Uh, as far as what the human uh, human nose and palate can detect, but um, I can even pick up sulfites at very very low amounts, and I particularly hate them, but uh, I still use them just in just as uh, an extra insurance policy. Even going through all the the filtrations that we're doing now, uh, just because it just it scares the crap out of me. You know, if there's anything on the inside of my closure or inside the bottle that didn't come out after rinsing. Uh, that can still infect that bottle. It's I've had enough batches, which I've heard other meteries uh, have plenty of experiences, uh, you know, the same as we have. And plenty, um, I think out of like 40-something batches in a little less than a year and a half, we've had maybe like five recipes start fermenting in the bottle. You know, percentage-wise, uh, the, those, those numbers are pretty good, but one is one too many for me that I want to deal with. And... Um, mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, yeah, like Michael was saying, as far, definitely as far as uh, sulfiting and uh, adding your sorbate, everything has to be based off of pH. And then in, the higher your pH, the more you're going to have to add. And when you look at these pH, um, uh, well, I'm sorry, the, the doses, of uh, you have to look at the molecular um, parts per million of, of sulfites that you want to add based on your pH. So you can go anywhere from like, you know, the normals are like 0.8 molecular, you know, parts of, uh, parts per million molecular SO2. You go to, to one and 1.5. Uh, 1.5 is normally where you want to go if, like, in the wine world, what you consider a dessert wine. So 1.5 parts per million molecular SO2 is what you want to hit on, you know, most of your semi-sweet to sweet needs. And um, that's a lot, especially if you're in your 3.4 to 3.7 um, you know, pH range, uh, at the, at the end of your, you know, fermentation, that's a lot of sulfites. To have. That's why I'm kind of, I kind of went the route of, I rather just really just like almost triple, you know, a triple sterile filter, um, so to speak and still sulfite. Uh, but knowing that I could add a lot less sulfites, uh, to my need as well. Uh, because of that additional, the additional filtration steps on the homebrew scale, it's, it, it definitely is a lot more of a challenge because you're not going to have, yeah, a if my math filter. is correct, that, that would be over 30 some odd parts per million of what? Oh, so far. Um, JD, that really depends on what your pH is. So that number can scale yeah. up quite high and quite low. Yeah. Yeah. If you're finishing at like 3.2, you're really not adding that much for example, but compared to like 3.4, 3.7, 3.8, depending on whatever your final pH is, I mean, 
it's it's going to vary quite a bit. Well, yeah, Scott that. Labs on a number of blogs, but you know can't mention them enough. Scott Labs has ton of this yeah. information available yeah. for free. I'm going to jump in here, and I know this is going to create a chorus of, oh, Mom, can I stay up for another 30 minutes? But we're mm-hmm. two and a half hours in and way over our limit for the show, and Got Me Live needs to go to bed. So um, <laughs> there's going to be more. There's going to be more of this. This is fantastic, guys. I can't thank you enough for calling in, and you're welcome to stay f- for the after conversation if you are so inclined. But um, this is amazing and awesome. And um, Tyson and, and Alan and JD and I have been sort of back channeling on Skype. This is kind of where we want to see some of the panel discussions go as we go forward. We've got multiple panel discussions that we're planning and they're going to, I really want to dig deep around some of this stuff like this, because this is what creates that rising tide. This is what gets the word out to people. So they feel like they can do this, that they can move forward and then, that they can do anything they want to do with mead. So you, I you, heard, more you heard that, Michael? Of this. They, they, they want to milk us, basically. That's <laughs> they they do want to milk you, yeah. Hey, you know, yeah, I got, totally I got into Forbes you. magazine today. I mean, yeah, you did get into Forbes oh, magazine congrats, today. by the way, man. That's awesome. That's so awesome, yeah. yeah. Um, and all you had to do was feel the burn, man. Totally awesome. Uh, yeah, you know what? I threw the Forbes guys. The guys from Forbes called me up thinking I was the most ultra-conservative and when I dropped the Bernie Sanders line, he literally called me back three days in a row to double check all the, the information. Because <laughs> <laughs> you like totally threw him for a loop, right? So, I mean, but here's the thing. I want to, you guys are going to be coming back. Yes, I am going to milk you for all you're worth. You're also going to get a lot of free AMMA advertising out of this. So it will work out. Um, but um, I think this is, you know, we're getting people, I'm getting tweets from, there's people at the UC Davis event that are going, listening to the thing while we prepare for another day at UC Davis. So we're getting tweets from all over. People going, this is amazing. So this is the kind of thing, this is what I want to see happening. A little bit more organized so that JD doesn't rip me up later because JD <laughs> likes organization. <laughs> and, and he's right. We, we, we're kind of all over the map tonight, but we had fun. And um, but Vicky, so Jay calls me after hours too, so you know that's okay. <laughs> I know he does, right? Yeah, I was just saying, JD should be taking notes because this is all about him learning how to make mead, right? That's why we do this. JD, I've got a secretary <laughs> who takes care of all of that for me. Uh, um, right, AJ, and, and learning how because you know, and, and getting that spark underneath you because that's what really got me going is when I realized you know I can open up someone's chest stop their heart, fix it, put them back together and bring them back to life. But I can't make a decent batch of mead. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we all have our skills. Oh, I, can't kill, I, I can't cure anyone either, so that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, so if I case, open up their chest uh, and stop their heart, it's going to stay stopped. So, yeah. We all case, have our strength. Uh, it's all right. In my case, it was going to be beer brewing, but then after walking through my local craft beer selection at my liquor store, I figured I didn't need to add to the already confusion that exists on the shelf, so I chose mead. Uh, With that, a couple of things coming up, guys. Mazer Cup, March 18th to 19th, Broomfield, Colorado. If you haven't got your plane ticket yet, get them today. Book your room and get out there and uh, take part in this thing. Entries are I mean, we're all going to be there. 
Entries uh, are closed, but uh, hey, it doesn't mean you can't go out there and have some. Nah, but there are still tickets available for the Mead Mixer, which is the largest public mead pour in the country, and they will have food pairing to go with the mead. It will be amazing. The AMMA and I will have a table there as well, so... You know, come out and, and play. Uh, I don't live on the East Coast, but I'm going to uh, give this name a shot. Uh, Rensselaerville, New York. The carry Rensselaer. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Institute. There, 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 are dead, there are dead New York moguls <laughs> spinning in their graves right now. <laughs> the Gary Institute for Global Good will be hosting a workshop on the honey and mead production as part of the Farm to Glass Classroom Series. This is an opportunity for both novice and established mead makers and beekeepers interested in learning about the new market opportunity, as well as anyone interested in using honey in craft beverage production. The workshop is set for 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday, May 10th at the Institute Guggenheim Pavilion. The mission is 20 bucks payable at the door, although uh, those interested in attending are asked to call Rebecca Platel at 797-56100 in advance. Uh, that's Rebecca. You, you screwed up that phone number, dude. There's, no, there's sir. No, no ma'am. I copied this right out of a post. So, uh, oh, wow. You know, They're call missing the something there. Call the Guggenheim <laughs> Pavilion and ask for Rebecca Platel. Um, panelists are scheduled to appear include Paul Crappy, apiculturist from New York State Agriculture Markets, uh, Peter Volker from uh, he's a owner operator of Heidelberg Meadworks in Waynesburg, Schenectady County, and Jamie Telegur, uh, head brewer for the Cave Mountain Brewery in Wyndham Green County. So uh, check it out, Cary Institute, Tampa, Florida, Southern Blue, uh, Southern Brewing and Winemaking, Southern they call it is celebrating Cinco de Mayo with a special beer and mead release party on May 5th. They'll be uh, tapping six pepper-treated meads, a pepper mead and a Mexican fruit mead. Treatments uh, to be uh, included. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> a uh, bungalow weiss with jalapeno pepper, cilantro, and lime, a saison uh, le chiffre, or however you say that word, chiffre. With uh, breath. Probably some kind of French word, I'm sure. Chiffre. Uh, Chiffre. Anyway. number. Uh, like savage boys. Yeah, I'm going to cut this short. Uh, everything <laughs> they yeah, Everything they're serving, uh, Florida, Southern Brewing and Winemaking, has got some form of pepper in it. Uh, and uh, with uh, a few meads, uh, one of the meads. I know the guava, the guava pineapple mead grabs me, man. I was just like, yeah, Ooh. that sounds. Are they gonna get a hold of some of our smolder raspberry chipotle meads? You, uh, yeah, can get should, more, yeah. uh, you can get more information. Uh, you can call Southern at, uh, now this phone number is correct, 813-238-7800. Or you can simply go to their Facebook page. Uh, Which you don't have on there. Well, it's again, this is right out of a post that I got uh, from another website. Uh, it sounded interesting. I thought maybe we should share it with everybody else here. So, just yeah, totally other brewing and winemaking, uh, just go to their Facebook page or hey, you know what? Call the number 813 238 7800. Tell them you heard it here at Got Mead Live. They'll probably ask you, What's that? Uh, but uh, tell yeah. them, and then, and then <laughs> yeah. you say, and then you say, Well, call JD or Vicky and they'll explain that to you. 
So uh, anyway, no, just saying uh, you don't know. Just a couple of things that uh, I thought we should make mention that were coming up here tonight. Well, so. and, and one more one more shout out before we go on to next guest. Michael, don't you have a mead competition coming up soon? Yes, we have a mead for your die taking place on April 30th. That's uh, meadforyourdye.com. There you go. All right. And Commercial we'll have and more. amateurs. Yeah, this is the east. This is this is the big East Coast one. So, and uh, we'll have more on this uh, as we get closer. And when Michael's ready to open up entries and all kind of fun stuff, Mike, Michael, keep me updated. Okay. Sure. And this is a record setter. This is two hours and forty-three minutes and twenty-one seconds. The last. And how many people on? Yeah. Who needs ask Oscar? <laughs> Not want to thank, uh, we want to thank Tyson Perzik, Alan Jones with Mead Makers. Uh, check them out. Mead, t- give them the website, Tyson. It, it, yeah, tell yeah, them. Yeah, M-E-A-D-M-A-K-R dot com. Sergio loves it. There you go. Meadmakers.com. <laughs> uh, Sergio Mutella, Melovino Meadery out there in New Jersey. Uh, good to have you on the show here tonight. Michael Fairbrother, awesome, awesome meads. Uh, yeah. Moonlight, Moonlight Meadery. Meadery. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. And, of course, uh, Doug out there. All yeah, the you forgot Tesla. Zeb Johnston. Johnston, Lions had me. I'm getting there. Uh, Doug uh, didn't even get a word in edgewise tonight, but he did join the show. Uh, well, I've been listening. There you lots go. Of, lots of great discussions on the on the, on the Yan, which has been one of my uh, Yan and PH are the two issues that I am most interested in. And uh, it was a great discussion. So I can't wait for the post game discussion, too, or post show. Post show. There you go. There All you right. go. Yeah, Sergio, gone. I need an article from you called Mead with Yawn, and then we'll just link over to the MMA site. You know? <laughs> can, I put a, can I put a Swedish guy on the post? Totally can. Yeah, we could just do the, the Swedish, the Swedish staff room that you know we'll probably get called by Sesame yeah. or by the Muppet people. Yeah. But you know, it's <laughs> Zeb Johnson for joining us here tonight. Throw a plug out there, Zeb. Look for a line at Meadery uh, this spring. What's the website? Oh, com. Lionsheadmeadery.com. Zeb Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> Opening this spring, so be ready. Have your dollars ready to throw it at Zeb. <laughs> you yeah. bet. Mississippi Chris uh, <laughs> joining us tonight, all the way from some operating room in a hospital in Mississippi. And uh, <laughs> this, yeah, yeah, shoulder deep in somebody's chest while he drinks me and talks to us. Joining you from, from my living room in Mississippi with 40 pounds of raspberries to juice. It's going to be up all night. So, yeah. uh, shoulder yeah. deep in a different kind of red. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's going to yeah. do it for another session of Got Mead Live. You can join us next Tuesday night, 9 o'clock, right here at gotmead.com. And we forgot to say who is next week. Well, uh, you really want to tune in because uh, Pete Bakalich is going to Jonas, and he's going to talk about this is Oscar, folks. Uh, you really want to join us uh, next Tuesday night because he's going to be talking Laser Cup. So yeah, uh, it's little next- known that Pete is the power behind the power. Pete is the power in, and the throne at the Maser Cup. He's the president of the Maser Cup organization right now. You bet. Pete, so Pete Bokulich, uh will be joining us, and that's Oscar to uh, everybody on the Gotham <laughs> floor. <laughs> 
So with that, uh, say goodnight, Vicky. Goodnight, Vicky. Goodnight, AJ. Goodnight, AJ. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next Tuesday night, nine o'clock, right here. Got me live.